The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. What is happening? Welcome to the On the Corner podcast. My name is Nick Pollock. We're continuing our incredible mock draft series. I'm calling it incredible because I think it's incredible. As we preview the 2022 season by doing a mock draft across the pitcherless staff. It's a 12-teamer. I'll get into all those details in a moment. But today's guest is Pete Ball. You know him from the Keeper Cut podcast. He does incredible things on the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Pete, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Nick. I'm excited to uh, to break down this mock and for everybody to see all the terrible decisions that I made. <laughs> I don't know if they were terrible at all. I mean, we uh, you were on the the other side of me. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but uh, it was kind of fun having. I don't know. There were there were certain picks that you made. I was like, oh yeah, that was a, hmm, that was something I should have considered. <laughs> oh, I thought you were times. going the other way with that. <laughs> oh no, no, I'm not. Who am I to judge? Like at this point, anyway. Uh, with my seals and approval of approvals and all that kind of stuff. But uh, Pete, tell everybody who you are, where they can find you, and all that fun stuff. Sure. Yeah. So I'm Pete Ball with Chad Young. I host the Keep or Cut podcast here on the Pitcherless Podcast Network. We dive into odd new leagues, um, which are like just full on year round. You're basically running like an organization if you're in an odd new league, which I am I'm finding out this year being in my first odd new league. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can follow me at, at Pete B baseball. I really haven't been that active on Twitter, but as we get closer to the season, of course, that will begin to ramp up. And that really is it because I am unique at pitcher list where my main, my only focus is podcasting. Yeah. Well, you have a voice for it, Pete. And I will also say that keeper cut has the, uh, the, the fewest syllables across your two hosts, Chad young, Pete ball. It's, it's in a, uh, you should be proud of this. (laughs) Oh, we are. Yeah. We talk about that all the time. Uh, and, and where can they find you on Twitter? Yeah, so it's at Pete B Baseball. It's like a play on my name there. Oh, I see. It's like B Ball, but it's baseball. Yeah, I, I dig it. I dig it definitely. <laughs> um, but all right, so we're we're gonna talk about your your team in this pitchless staff mock draft. If you're not familiar with it, there's a link inside the podcast description for the full draft board as well as all the settings, which are 12 teamer, 23 rounds, Yahoo standard that is average and wins, not quality start, not OBP. Uh, We have five games started or 10 games played at any sort of position for eligibility. Two different Otanis. So there's a DH Otani and then there's a starting pitching Otani. 
three outfield spots, two utility, nine P slots, one of every other position. It's just as straightforward as you get so that we can have some foundation to build upon for your specific league settings. So, Pete, you had the sixth spot right before me. Was I was this? I don't know. Did you want to have the sixth spot? Did it just fall in your lap? What was your thought process entering this? So I was one of the last people to sign up. Um, and so I went with six. But I do think that like not to be all woe is me with this. Right. But I think with Otani being two different players, the, the sixth pick is the worst pick because huh. I. view. Yeah. I mean, I, and I'm not disappointed with the player I got. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm very happy with the player I got. But I think those top five guys in my mind, if Otani is two different players, the top five is very clear to me. Hmm. And then after that, it gets it gets kind of difficult. Interesting. So I so I will say those five guys that went were Vlad Guerrero Jr., Cunha Jr., Tatis Jr., Turner, and Soto. Were those the five that you're talking about? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you took Boba Shed. I took Jose Ramirez. Those to me are the definitive seven because I I think with five of them, I mean Acuna is not going to be there now that he's saying, oh, and I'm going to be back in May. So that's really I think to you is going to turn to the top four, which now means fifth is the worst position. Yep. Uh, but I uh, there's a thought process of hey, what league is this? I said this was a head to head, not in the beginning, but I, I told all you guys it was. If it were Roto. It might make a difference, though, because, say, like Juan Soto or Vlad Jr., well, those are four category studs. Well, you got Bo Bichette, I got Jose Ramirez. Those are guys that are going to provide in five categories. Obviously, Jose Ramirez not as much in the average department as Soto and Guerrero Jr., but that's the idea there. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily side with the fact that uh, um, that there's a definitive four then. Uh, and that sixth is the worst pick or really fifth or whatever you want to say that. So I think you did all right with Bo Bichette, Pete. I was, you know, I was happy with him. Like you said, the the five category contributor is really key there. And if Marcus Semien does leave Toronto, which I don't know, I feel like it's, knows, it's probably yeah. likely like they have a lot of holes they have to fill. They have to go out to get or get Robbie Ray. So I like it. I think there's a chance he could move up in the lineup, in which case, you know, it's going to be even better. You look at George Springer's age, as I know he was batting lead off for them once he came back. If you take Springer and, and bat him further down in the lineup, and you take away semi, and I think you're looking at a potential leadoff hitter in Bo Bichette, which may hurt the RBI total, obviously. But I mean, this is a guy who had 121 runs last year. What? How many runs could he possibly score leading right. off? And then add into that the stolen base component, where this is what I did a solo pod on Keeper Cut not too long ago, where, where Chad and I obviously we weren't together, but we did two separate episodes where we did our takeaways from the 2021 season. And my takeaway was I'm tired of trying to consciously draft stolen bases. Okay, If I don't get them at the beginning of the draft, I'm not going to take them. Or I'm at least not going to consciously take them. Like the days of reaching for Scott Pitsednik or Michael Bourne. Oh, Scott Pitsednik. Right. Yeah, these, these dream boat names. Like those don't exist anymore. So you either get the stolen bases at the beginning or you don't. And that made it difficult for me between Boba Shett and Jose Ramirez. And almost immediately after, I was like, ugh. I probably should have taken Jose Ramirez because <laughs> third base yes! is a cesspool, man. Yes, yes, Pete. Thank you so much. I just want you to say that all the time when you're <laughs> picking before me in this draft. Um, I will. Okay, so you hit a lot of really good points there. One, um, Bo Bichette batted second, third, and fourth this year, really splitting time between all three of them. Um, and 121 runs with a 343 on base percentage is actually really shocking. 
Yeah. Uh, it's just not what you expect. But then again, with the real real reason, 690 plate appearances. That That's the big difference maker there. Um, Bo Bichette shouldn't be out of the lineup at all next year. Um, I would hope that he doesn't hit leadoff necessarily just because he had 102 RBI this year. I would love for that opportunities. Those opportunities to still be there. Sure, it won't be gone considering how good the Jays lineup is. But still, at first, I don't think I want to tip the scales like that. I want the, I want him batting second or third, really. I want more balance between runs and RBI. The stolen bases should be there again. 25 this past year, probably around 20, I would think. Uh, we never really know with stolen bases if that's going to stick. But hey, maybe he goes 30 or so. Um, 20, 29 home runs, and that could always grow. Uh, but just keep in mind that you know, 159 games is really what you're chasing here. You're hoping that he gets us the same kind of playing time. Don't really see a reason why not. And near 300 batting average all looks like, yeah, that's kind of who Hobichet is. Um, and the Jays lineup isn't going to be bad. And in some ways you could say, I mean, sure, maybe Semyon leaves, but then again, Springer could be healthy the full year. Uh, if that, that may even it out a little bit. I I don't know. I, I kind of still dig Bo Bichette here at six. I don't think he made a bad pick. With Jose Ramirez, it's always like rostering Jose Ramirez is annoying at times. He's a very streaky guy. Uh, and I think there's a lot more security around Bo Bichette's lineup um, to make sure that he has a higher floor. So I don't, you know, I don't really, I'm not too against it, but you made an excellent point. Third base is way, is way harder to find later on while shortstop they're like 20 guys or something crazy <laughs> as we've been doing these that can fill in. Yes, some of them would be in other positions. For example, Semi could be at second base or shortstop or Jazz Chisholm as well. But, uh, I mean, you're going to have other options, and you actually found that later in your draft. So if you were doing this now, would you be taking Jose Ramirez instead of Bo? Yeah, after looking at third base, particularly in a redraft league, I mean, Jose Ramirez is just so good. Now, you did say at the beginning, you know, we acknowledge that this was a head-to-head league, and I try to avoid the more streaky guys in head to head because yeah. I mean, there are going to be some weeks where if he is as streaky as he's been in years past that you basically just don't have your first round pick for a week but right I, and so I think Boba Shett's I guess it's kind of crazy to say but Boba Shett maybe has a safer floor I guess in a head to head league anyway in some um, ways yeah I would say especially for the run and RBI production yes right yeah even if he bats higher in the lineup you know the, the Cleveland lineup is nothing to write home about so I think the RBI right. numbers could be pretty comparable yep Um. and yeah it's a uh, uh, you'll see a lot of Boba Shed around this time uh, come draft season. You might see him more like fifth because of uh, Noah Cunha. Could, I could even see him going third with Turner or even second. <laughs> this is crazy. There's a reason to say no to all of these guys. Like Turner and Boba Shed are pretty similar, uh, if you ask me. And Turner obviously has the, the average side, but there is something about the uh, the run RBI total of, of Bichette that just feels right. Uh, while, you know, Tatis, injury risk. Guerrero Jr. does not have stolen bases. Juan Soto does not have stolen bases. Acuna out to at least May. There's there's a serious case for Bobichet even being two or even one. So I think he did good uh, getting him in the sixth, uh, with the sixth pick here. And let's talk about the second round now. You went after an outfielder in Chicago, uh, Luis Robert. How do you feel about this? I feel great about this pick. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you look at look at a lot of the names after the first round and, and think like who next year could we be considering one of these top five names? Right. And, and, and Luis Robert has to be up there, right? Robert Robert. I get this wrong all the time. Oh, well, it's, it's because uh, he has accepted Robert because we would say Robert, but I believe it is Robert. Okay. So Robert, yeah. like yeah. 
he's got that top five player upside. Right? Like he's almost like Kyle Tucker in that regard, where it's the capability to produce in all five categories. I mean, well, his OPS last year is 946 in 296 oh, plate appearances. I mean, it's crazy. It's a great lineup. It's a it's a good park to hit in. I don't know where he's going to be hitting in the lineup, and that mm. could certainly impact things, but he's also a very efficient stealer of bases. Um, <laughs> and he, he managed to cut down on the K rate as well, right? Like, that was a concern when he was called when he was first called up. It was like, all right, well, he's probably going to strike out a lot, and he did. But then this year, that goes down to, to 20.6%, which is absolutely palatable. Um, so. Right. I was very excited to get uh, Robert where I got him. Yeah, I can imagine him being called into a to a garden party, saying the master of baseballs, the stealer of bases, <laughs> Luis Robert. Sorry, I apologize to everybody. I will not be so silly. Um, I need more coffee in me. I thirteen home runs, six stolen bases, forty two runs, forty three RBI, three thirty eight average. That's what Robert did over only sixty eight games. This year, batted a lot near the top of the lineup, first or second. Often, um, we know that this man is going to excel. I had one criticism entering last year, which was his high swing strike rates. He matched it with a 22%, which was very terrifying in 2020 with a 32% K rate. That's why he had a 233 average. But as you mentioned, K rate came down incredibly to uh, under 21%, and then 16% swing strike rate as he improved. Uh, clearly in the strikeout department. It is interesting. He swung, though, more often. 62% um, as opposed to the 57%. It makes me think that he whiffed fewer and he made more contact. Uh, I can find that very quickly, and I should have had that prepared. And, of course, I didn't. He made more contact. Yeah, 12 points higher. Um, and that is the main difference in my book. Uh, but, yeah, especially inside the zone, 12 points as well there. Uh, for for Robert Robert, I can do this. I uh, he could be a first round pick. This is very true. I don't think anyone really believes the three thirty eight average. I think that's a major thing. Three ninety four Babbitt with it, um, with an expected batting average of two ninety seven. I uh, two ninety seven. You know, you never really know with XBA too. So it could be like three ten or something along those lines. Um, if that is that average, I mean, absolutely, he's going in the first five picks entering twenty twenty three. Then. Um, so I totally understand this pick, 100%. I look at the other guys after, Max Scherzer, Liam Hendricks, Rafael Devers, Aaron Judge, Brandon Wivich, Cedric Mullins, and I kind of think, like, Nick, you could have done this yourself. I took Freddie Freeman thinking that first base was not so deep, and it actually is kind of deep. So I will be circling uh, Luis Robert around this time, especially if guys are going after Gordon Burns and Garrett Cole and Walker Buehler, etc. earlier in the round. Um, I will say, if if it wasn't... Robert, who would it have been for so, you? Are we assuming like you took Robert in this situation? Sure. Okay. Um, man, that's a tough call. Uh, probably, honestly, probably Aaron Judge. Mm. I, I think he he kind of he stayed mostly healthy this year. I think he had a lot of bad luck. I mean, the the idea that he had what was it? I don't know, thirty nine homers and all those plate appearances, and he stayed healthy in Yankee Stadium, and he still only had like I can't remember how many RBI, but I want to say it was in like the eighties. Um, that was very surprising. It felt like a little bit of bad luck. I think he's very clearly one of the best hitters in baseball. I think that team, as as I'll talk about with my DJ LeMahieu pick, is going to have a big bounce back season at least at the plate because it was just such an abnormally awful year for that team at the plate, despite their two most important hitters hitting the crap out of the ball. Um, yeah, so definitely. Aaron judge would definitely be, I, I shouldn't say definitely, but if put me <laughs> on the spot right now would have probably been my pick instead. 
what I what I'm trying to get at is say for Raphael Devers, um, who I am a fan of. I think there's just such a very it's such a high floor with him. And Judge, the only terror I have is of course his uh, storied injury history. Um, the other guys don't really appeal to me on the same level uh, yeah. as Robert. So uh, I'm I'm kind of crafting in my head of what hitters I'm targeting before I would go after a pitcher if they fall. And Robert is on that side of. Yeah, make sure you get the hitter still. Uh, I'm not sure where that ends. It might be Devers. It might be even be Tyler O'Neill. Adam Howe really convinced me with that one, um, that there's something special brewing with him. But, uh, I mean, that's just me being abnormal. I, I expect Burns and Cole and Bueller to go ahead often. But, Probably. I mean, Albies and Semien, I think, are properly ahead as well. Freeman, I think so, too. I think it's just too good to pass up of how much that does help your team having his numbers but uh, Robert is definitely inside of that, too. And we're going to go to the third round here where you decide, OK, I've got two two hitters and I'm going to go uh, a pitcher here. Was this your strategy to kind of balance both hitting and pitching early? Yeah, it was kind of like my old strategy, I guess. Like when I first started playing fantasy baseball, I was like, get two stud hitters. And then if there's a pitcher who you want to take, then this is the time to start taking a pitcher. And I abandoned that uh, this year. I talked a lot about it uh, with Chad on Keeper Cut. My draft strategy last year was like, you know, I kind of want to at the end of three rounds, actually have two pitchers and one hitter. Um, I definitely didn't want to leave the third without an ace. I think I, I think if we've learned anything about pitching, starting pitching the last two, three seasons, it's that we don't we, we can't figure it out. Right. I mean, excuse it's, you. Excuse I, you. P. I'm just I'm messing around. I mean, Nick we, can we, figure it out, but us <laughs> plebeians struggle with it. It is um, well. I mean that I can. I'm curious where you're going with that because you can take that statement either way. Yeah, I, I, I mean it is like a. I mean, I, the reason why myself and I, I was kind of following a strategy from Scott White at CBS of loading up on pitchers because you almost have this expectation. This is a dark way to look at it, but that like you're going to lose pitchers throughout the year. Like they're going to get injured. Some of them might get injured for the year. So you want to make sure you have enough horses backed up so that you can oh, almost keep going without skipping a beat and it felt right. like for a while there right between i don't know 2017 and 2019 where it was like you can hitters are just coming out everywhere you're finding hitters in your ears uh and you, and you can load a lineup with a guy who's gonna you know hit 25 homers and get 80 rbi no problem and all of a sudden it was like no the balls have changed um good luck for those first couple of months and i kind of went into panic mode about that because it was like every pitcher all the way down to john means looked like a Cy young candidate uh, and you couldn't find hitting anywhere so i'm, I'm trying to adjust and and, and start turning swinging the pendulum in the other direction leaning more towards hitters but uh, i wasn't gonna let bieber go any further interesting oh so so i was saying before about going two different directions if you're feeling that it's a minefield with, with pitchers then you can say well then i'm not gonna you know i'm trying to get as much as i can from this draft and by taking a pitcher i'm putting myself in that you know in my, in harm's way where there potentially could be that that mine uh, but the other side, I mean, as you mentioned, it's like, well, then I want to get as many as I can to then uh, avoid or when I hit it, I'm OK. And I can I, I that's a very good argument. I understand that one a lot. Um, I, of course, I'm like, well, then just go to the waiver wire. You're fine. There's all of this to, to mess around with, which obviously is me just glorifying it. And you need to get lucky. And I mean, if anyone can tell you, um, you can do everything right in fantasy baseball. But if you don't have enough luck, you're going to lose. And that's just. That's the way it is. You know, every single successful season comes with luck to some degree. Um, it's not it's it's like poker. If you ever play poker, you're like, yeah, you need to get lucky in some way. But if you know how to play, you can be successful. 
So I so I understand both sides of it. Obviously, play to your strengths is what my cop out answer always is. My strength is finding things off the wire for pitching and not for hitting. So I load up with hitters. But if you're listening and think I'm really good at finding hitters off the wire, great. Get all the, the pitching that you want. So why Shane Bieber, though? We have Zach Wheeler, Chris Sale, and Sandy Alcantara on the board still. Robbie Ray as well. Why did you go with Shane Bieber? Uh, yeah, over Zach Wheeler is, is, I guess, a tough call. It's easy to say that right after the 2021 season. but it, Yeah, I mean, he's amazing, Pete. He's so good. <laughs> well, the, the rest of those names, I definitely like Bieber more than. Um, and I did end up getting Alcantara, actually, with my next pick. And I think those two actually balance each other out kind of nicely. But I, I don't know. I, I feel like we jumped off the ship with Bieber. And I... I I say we, probably neither of us, but the industry as a whole. <laughs> the industry certainly has, yes. Yeah, it was like one year ago, this guy was a first-round pick. He was the reigning Cy Young. And there's no question that his schedule in 2020 helped him. I mean, that's obvious. It did the same thing for a lot of pitchers that were pitching in the Central. But, like, he has this injury. This I'm not going to put the stethoscope on. The scub scapulus, I don't know, something, some capsule in your shoulder. And I, you don't want to hear that, right? But he came back. He he came back through some innings. Had I think it was two outings, three outings after the injury to say like, "Hey, I'm alive. Here I am." Um, and people were worried about you know the muck on the ball and was Bieber doing that? And you know, I, I think he just needs his time to adjust, like all the other pitchers that got time to adjust. And now he's going to have a full off season to to get healthy, get into his routine, pitch with a baseball that doesn't have whatever on it, and he's going to return to being one of the best pitchers in baseball. And that's still not really a division to fear. Um, I mean, it's getting better. Obviously, the White Sox are very good, but I like where he pitches, and I think he's awesome. Well, you think he's awesome. I mean, that should have just been the uh, the entire thing, honestly. You, yeah, you he's, awesome. he's awesome. No, yeah. <laughs> he's dope. He's dope, as Nick would say. Oh, man. I've, I've tried to limit how much I say a pitcher is dope just using that. I think I got, like, multiple people send me things like, I hate how much this guy says dope. And I was like, all right, okay. I am more articulate, I think. Uh, so I have limited it. But Bieber, when Bieber does Bieber things, is dope. Uh, unfortunately, he wasn't last year. And even before the injury, it wasn't quite the same Shane Bieber. Uh, his fastball wasn't as good. Uh, it wasn't getting as many called strikes. Uh, he allowed uh, more hits than ever. It was a 274 batting average allowed as opposed to say, the 210 of 2020 on that fastball. Um, the slider w- was forced to go into the zone a lot more, 45% zone rate. Because the fastball wasn't as good, and that made it just the whole package just not not as amazing and stellar beforehand. He had a 121 whip, and that was really before the injury, of course. I think it was even higher than that, and when he came back, his whip lowered. But those last two starts are really the reason why I'm, I don't know, I have to acknowledge the fact that Bieber was throwing softer and did not have his fastball command. I watched all every pitch he threw in those last two uh, it's the last two starts, and it wasn't the Bieber that we know. The Bieber that we know is precise with his fastball, which then allows him to go out of the zone with both his curveball and slider for a ton of whiffs. That That's Shane Bieber being amazing. I hope that he can. I mean, I'm not going to tell you right now, that, oh, now he's doomed because of the two starts he made coming back from injury, and now he has an offseason, right? That, just, that would be silly. And I don't think anyone is treating him like that man. But I can't ignore the fact that when we did see him, it wasn't ready. And it doesn't make me feel good about it. It doesn't make me feel as if I have the full confidence of Bieber returning. And I, I've made a mistake 
a few of them recently about injured players who were fantastic before their injury coming back and just assuming, yeah, they should be fine. Uh, we've seen a good amount. Uh, let's say Jameson Tyone, Corey Kluber, Steven Strasburg are some examples that come quickly to mind. I know there are others, but it's not always a clear cut. Everything is fine. We're done here. And that itself in the third round, when you have someone like Zach Wheeler, is just I would rather just cash in on Zach Wheeler and be happy with life um, than taking the chance of getting a third rounder that might be a second rounder. Um, that that that's where I'm siding on this. But I mean, it'd be so cool if Shane Bieber was really good again. I would I would absolutely adore that. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I definitely agree with the idea of this early play it safe. Um, I do like Bieber. Like, I mean, I think that's pretty established. I, I do think that Bieber has a higher ceiling going into next year than Wheeler, which is maybe why I took the risk. And I think that's why yeah, I, I took got that. my next player. Yeah. So so that is Sandy Alcantara. And here I was, Pete. It was three picks in Jose Ramirez Freeman story. And I see that y'all let me have Sandy Alcantara in the fourth round. Ooh. And I thought... This is the dream. This is what you've always thought of. Sandy Alcantara, fourth round. Now, I know I know. in previous years, I got him in the 10th. I got him in the 10th this past year in the, <laughs> the Legacy League. Fast yelled and screamed his head off about it. But you know what? Fourth round of Sandy Alcantara. I love this man. Why would I take them? Because I, it was a mock draft, and I needed to see. I needed to trust my instincts that there would be so many pitchers to get later on, and I'd be totally fine with that. So I took George Springer, and then right after you took Sandy, and there, there he went floating away from my hands ocean waves or ocean water sprinkling on my cheeks oh sandy sorry uh, man so, i mean yeah he's... no you should be why are you saying sorry <laughs> you should not be saying sorry it's a great pick fourth round sandy alcantara i want you to talk about what you see and why you took him instead of robbie ray lancelin or aaron nola yeah so i think the the biggest reason why i took him is isn't anything to do with the fact well i guess of course it has to do with the fact that he's phenomenal but it has a lot to do with the fact that i had just taken shane bieber who spent most of the year hurt and the rest of the year when he wasn't hurt you know looking inconsistent sandy alcantara two of the last three years has thrown minimum 197 innings and the one year he didn't was 2020 where nobody threw that many um he only had seven games started i don't know covid COVID it was, and the okay. Marlins. If you remember oh, how that's like, right. messed up that was. They played like threw, 18 games and made the playoffs. Man, uh, the, the, I, was, I was so questioning <laughs> of Sandy. And then all of a sudden I saw the first game against the Phillies where he was throwing like 92 mile per hour changeups inside to them and 98 inside to righties. And I freaked out. <laughs> I was like, what have I done? I've been so wrong. And I can't wait to see his next start. And then I had to wait over a month. It was It was not fun. It, it was not fun at all, Pete. Yeah, that's brutal. That's brutal. But he's, I mean, there's no question he is back. I mean, and and he looks, he has all the makings of someone who's going to be a horse. And unlike a lot of pitchers, like, you know, we can say, oh, well, they, they throw a lot of different pitches. Like, and you have your exceptions. Like, Darvish really does throw a lot of pitches quite often. But Sandy Alcantara pretty routinely throws four different pitches. Um, and they're, they're all either high 90s or low 90s. Like, who has a changeup that averages like 92 miles an hour? Yeah, that's I mean, pretty funny. It's ridiculous. <laughs> He's ridiculous. That's another not. To, it sounds like I overvalue this, but and I don't. But I, I think that's another division that's that's a good one to pitch in. And so I feel like all the risk that I took with Shane Bieber and maybe I didn't need to. Maybe I could have just taken Wheeler and Alcatara and then not taken the pitcher for nine rounds. I mean, maybe that's a better strategy. I don't know at this point. 
but I feel much better about my Bieber pick knowing I now have Sandy in the bag as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting too. People are going to say, oh, but it's a 24% strikeout rate. Like this isn't this isn't the 30% that I'm used to with Bieber or even like Wheeler doing or Robbie Ray with his 32 plus. And why are we getting so in on Sandy Alcantara? Well, we don't expect it to be a 24%. Um, is the real situation. I mean, he had a three-game, four-game stretch uh, uh, against the Reds twice and then against the Mets where he had 11 strikeouts, 12 strikeouts, then six strikeouts, and 14. And we really saw him turning it on. Uh, the slider usage went up. He started getting more comfortable with that pitch, which is a filthy offering. Guess what? 36% CSW with a 67% strike rate and a sub-200 batting average allowed. Yeah, that's really good. I think that's a uh, that's something we want to, him to throw a lot more than 20-24% or so. And I think we'll start seeing that more 30% instead of him being more uh, two-seamer and change-up focused. Because there were starts earlier on that was about 40% change-ups. And uh, it's a really nasty pitch, but it's not as overwhelming as you want it to be. Um, guys essentially learn to be ready for at 92 or so for that changeup and then be able to turn it up a little bit if they needed to on the fastball or even maybe even go in between. And the slider is a better offering at this point. Um, I think Alcantara is, is figuring that out. Also with sinkers and four seamers is able to elevate four seamers well and jam right-handers with that sinker inside. It's He's so good at that. It's always like a 30% plus O swing and that's what you want on a sinker. This is also, as you said, a workhorse. Um I mean, we're, we're talking about the guys, you know, oh, we're excited about 170 innings from someone. So, yeah, Sandy over 200 this past year. Yet last year, 2020, just one game of those seven was not six plus innings. Uh, this is what he does. He goes deep into games constantly because he throws a ton of strikes with such an effective fastball combination. And, yeah, be excited, guys. I mean, this is he's an absolute stud. And, and even if you're happy in the fourth round. Even if you have to compromise some strikeouts, like let's say he doesn't keep up the, the crazy pace he was on there towards the end, this is he's a his ground ball rate is ridiculous. It's way over fifty percent. Mm, that's why yeah. he's able to go so deep into games because he generates a ton of ground balls, and that's something I look for in pitchers. We care more about strikeouts because it's actually a category, but like ground balls factors in to your ERA, um, to your WHIP, assuming you know you can manage to keep a, a lower BABIP despite all the ground balls. And Alcantara, who's better at it? At that than him uh so he's, he's like the perfect combination of tools for me absolutely he had uh the same amount of strikeouts as lucas giolito more strikeouts than darvish urias uh castillo i uh, it, it's kind of remarkable just because of the amount of innings that he threw uh two fewer strikeouts than musgrove uh at 201 for sandy alcantara so even though it's a 24 percent strikeout rate the volume makes that not matter at all so seal of approval for right. Sandy Alcantara in the fourth round. If I knew every single draft that I can get Alcantara in the fourth round, I would just do that. And then, yeah, I, I would do that. Okay, fifth round. You thought, oh, oh, no, Pete. Oh, Pete, why did I take, why did you take a shortstop in the first round if Corey Seager is going to be here in the fifth? And you couldn't help yourself. You said, I don't care. I'm still going to take Corey Seager. Yeah, it definitely makes me regret Bobochet even more it because of <laughs> Jose Ramirez again a camel cross is like anti Bobochet I'm absolutely not but I'm also okay with it because there's two utilities right so like whatever just give me give me an awesome bat I'm pretty convinced Corey Seager is going to be a Yankee 
and even if that doesn't come to fruition, I mean, he he's probably going to hopefully going to end up somewhere where his bat's going to be valued. You know, Houston's going to be looking for a new shortstop. That's obviously a great lineup. There's still a chance the Dodgers bring him back. Um, so wherever he is, I'm, I'm confident he's going to hit and he's going to produce. And I think we're we're overrating the injury thing with Corey Seager. We really are. Um, I mean, like 2016 and 2017, 157 games, and 148 games played. Right. Then we get to 2018. I'm not going to go through his whole injury, but that was like, that was Tommy John surgery and he had hip surgery. That's concerning if it comes up again, but Tommy John surgery, what, what are you supposed to do about that? Like Glaber Torres went through the same thing. Didi Gregorius went through the same thing. This is something that shortstops experience. 2019. He ends up, uh, gets hit in the pit. No, that was this year. I'm sorry. I'm like, <laughs> my, my notes are all over the place. 134 games in 2019, 52 in 2020. And then he got hit by a pitch in this season. Exactly. Five games. So like, that, I mean, hit by a pitch, Tommy John surgery. That means he's injury prone. No way. So I, I'm in on Seager. I don't care that I have two shortstops at this point. If it's Corey Seager and Bo Bichette. 16 <laughs> percent strikeout rate 12 percent walk rate for Corey seager 306 average might surprise a lot of people 16 home runs and about 400 plate appearances is pretty dang good i yeah i i mean i'd be happy i don't know if i'd be jumping to get Corey seager in the fifth if you already have bichette because i think his value does lie more in being on saying hey i'm this is my you know this is your shortstop you should be happy with that if he's not short and he's your util i would honestly look to trade him um, because he should have higher value for someone else than you do uh, in that spot, because he's not going to be like a thirty home run guy. You don't. I don't think you expect that out of him. I don't uh, know. I think he do. could be. He could be, but it's not what you. You're not thinking. I've got thirty home runs in Corey Singer. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at pitcherlist.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. Right. Um, now, you do make a good point. Runs and RBI totals can be very high um, if he goes to the right lineup. The average can be 300, as he's shown over the past, uh, I don't know, it's about 140 games or so. Uh, that can be his world. Um, yeah, I mean, if you didn't have Bo Bichette, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Just go get Corey Seager. You're set. You're good. But because you have Bo Bichette, I'm looking at the other hitters here. I got Altuve next because I was terrified of second base falling off, which it does. So maybe you should have done that. I don't know. Who do I know? Uh, <laughs> Kendall Marte, Anthony Rendon, Wander Franco, Max Muncy. Maybe Max Muncy uh, is is the compliment you need because that's just more flat out like I am a dope power bat. Um, but yeah, I, what I don't know hitters, man. This is my <laughs> it's not my wheelhouse necessarily. Corey Seager is a very good hitter. You're not going to be disappointed necessarily have him on your team. So sure, fifth round. That's where he should be going. That's that's that. that there you go, guys. I'm admitting my faults. <laughs> I'm not a CS major. There it is. Okay. 
I was a CS minor. I uh, Eli Jimenez in the sixth round. That is true. I was. I uh, I love Eli Jimenez, and we're going to talk about him. But first, we're going to take a quick break. So Eli Jimenez, we're talking about a giant power bat. Uh, you found one with Eli, and honestly, sixth round feels a little bit low, Pete. Yeah, and that's why I took him. Uh, because I think <laughs> smart, right? Like I, uh, it's going to probably be a lower average than Seager. But if you just looked at home runs, RBI and runs, I think those two can end up pretty close. So it's almost like I just drafted the same thing at a different position, which isn't necessarily that great of a move. But I, I saw him there and almost couldn't believe it. Like he's still so young. Obviously, it was a, it was a terrible injury, but he took his time coming back. Didn't look great when he got back, but I think most young guys would after missing so much time with a shoulder injury. He's nothing in the field. I think he's, you know, going to he's pretty much locked up as that DH now. And what's not to like when you're in the middle of the Chicago White Sox lineup? Yeah, the uh, the only concern is the 249 average that we saw this past year uh, when they expected the batting average of 243. And you got to wonder, where does that fall eventually? Uh, the swing strike rate went up for Eloy to 16.5%. His swing percentages and O swings were not good. 40% O swing is too high. His swing percentage was, was a little aggressive at 53%. You do wonder, yeah, is he going to be a 25% strikeout guy? And are, are we going to have to endure that average? Or is he going to be someone that doesn't hurt you like a 260, 270 type that we saw in 2019? And then, I mean, the 296 in 2020 for Eloy, that seems like a high average that we aren't going to see again. But runs and RBI totals should be wonderful. Where does he hit? Probably fourth, something like that. Jose Breu, Tim Anderson, uh, Luis Robert, and who else am I forgetting? And is that it? Is it Grandal is going to be in there somewhere. Yeah, Grandal, Schmondal. Uh, <laughs> sorry, wonderful guy, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so there you go. Four hitter, uh, Eli Jimenez. I'm sure I'm forgetting someone. I'm so sorry. But uh, but yeah, you're getting a massive power bat here in the sixth round, a, a bat that legitimately sways things. Um, and I think one of the last ones, uh, I see Arenado at the end of the sixth. Carlos Correa kind of, Javier Baez is just a little frustrating to deal with at times. Giancarlo Stanton certainly next with Scott Chu, but then again, there's how much Giancarlo are you going to see? Uh, there's Jose Abreu goes the next round which is solid. There's J.D. Martinez, but then it starts to wane a bit, and Eloy feels like, to me, like a very solid six-round pick. I'm going to give you a seal of approval for that one. Sweet. I love it. I love it. I love six-round Eloy Jimenez. I'm going to go six starters straight. Sorry, six hit, six hitters straight before taking a starter. That means I get Eloy Jimenez in the sixth round. I'll do it. Agreed. You heard it here. Okay, I should have done it, actually. It took Jack Flaherty and said, what's wrong with me? <laughs> what is wrong with me? All right, so seventh round comes, and you think, you know what? I need a third starter. Is that your thought process, or is it, oh, hey, it's Luis Castillo. I'll take that. I mean, it was mostly, it's Luis Castillo. I'll take that. Mm. I think I looked at the other names, the upcoming names, and I think I like him definitively more than a lot of them. I mean, I, I obviously like Trevor Rogers. I like Alec Manoa, but they're, they're going to be going into their sophomore seasons. Who knows what the innings are going to look like? You know, Musgrove kind of cooled down. We don't know what's going on with Kershaw. I do like Frankie Montas, but I felt like Castillo was someone who kind of separates himself. And if it wasn't for that first half, right, like the whip in the second half was still pretty bad. I want to say it was around 1.3, but the ERA went down all the way to like, it was basically like three in the second half. I think he's still a great pitcher. I think maybe we overvalued him as an industry going into last season. But now I think it's swung too much in the opposite direction where it's like, well, this guy's probably still maybe a top 15 starter 
maybe like is that if that's his ceiling or, or even close to his most likely outcome then why would i not take him here and i know it's it, it's almost like blasphemy to you i got three starting pitchers at this point but i really like all three yeah what are you doing pete come on <laughs> get, get it together uh no um luis castillo i think the thing that we overlooked is the whip uh, of castillo and his history of being elevated with it uh, 122 in 2018 114 is the best we've seen for a bit 2019 2020 was 123 and it was 136 this past year in 2021 for Luis Castillo I remember the first two months whew, all the tweets all of the the messages I got about Luis Castillo Nick we have to drop him we have to drop him we have to drop him can I drop him yet? please let me drop Luis Castillo Nick Nick come on Nick please stop stop telling me to hold on to him and of course in the second half it was great because that's that's how this stuff works. We're going to be talking. I'm very happy I have the reference point of Charlie Morton and uh, Luis Castillo now for future seasons. Because, yes, guess what? One of these top 20 pitchers, if not multiple of them, are going to disappoint you in April and or May. More at 11. Um, <laughs> Luis Castillo might be a, a not a Cincinnati Red by the time this actually, this podcast actually comes out. We're recording on the evening of November 9th uh, to 2021 of course uh so we don't really know where he is now i don't know if it really changes my opinion that much maybe the home number five ball rate goes down a little bit from 15 percent a little bit lower but it's never really been the problem 0.91 homer per nine it's more that the babbit is so elevated 318 and it's always really been around 300 or so i don't know if i'm gonna see that changing for castillo he's a slinger with his fastballs he's someone that isn't a precise I, uh, you know, spot guy with it with his heater. Uh, we saw a 310 average across all of his fastballs the past year, 276 in the past, 258, and so on. And I, I can't get that out of my head that he doesn't get a ton of called strikes on fastballs. It's the best ones, like Bieber, for example, 25% called strike on his fastballs. It's 17% for Luis Castillo, 15. He throws it hard, 97 and change. Sometimes we see him sit 98, and that's great. But without that fastball really being so dominant inside the zone, it doesn't set up that changeup as much as we want. And that's part of the reason why we saw the 19% swing strike rate this year, not the elite 25% plus marks that we've seen on that changeup uh, for swing strike rates in the past for Luis Castillo. So that's the back and forth I have. I mean, I fell in love with him when I first saw him in 2017. I remember the the article I put out for Fangraphs being like the five at-bats that define my love for Luis Castillo um, and just breaking them down and how beautiful they were Um, because here was, he just showed up. He's like, Oh yeah, I throw super hard and I have a filthy changeup. And there's also a slider that does good things too. When it, you know, like it was like, what, why isn't everyone talking about this man? (laughs) And nowadays, you know, it's everyone sees Alec Manoa and they talk about him, but uh, Luis Castillo, I I don't think he's ever going to be that top 10 guy because of that whip problem that the fastball problem, I hope that he'll be like around 20 or so. I hope that's the case, but you're going to have some headaches along the way as my God have rambled for so long and you're so kind not saying anything. You can you can jump in at any moment, Pete. Well, I think the, the, the Babbitt thing, I think, is just something, and the whip, obviously those two are related. It's something that you were just going to have to deal with, right? When you're talking about a player who's generating as many ground balls as Castillo is and he doesn't have the overpowering stuff that Sandy Alcantara does to kind of make up for it, then we are talking about quite a few balls put in play. Maybe that's a, a, a bad move on my part because I think all three of my starters so far could end up with like higher mm, than, than, the, than their peers whip. And I think whip is almost like the batting average of pitching categories that gets forgotten about quite a bit. But it's also a little bit fluky. Um, and it's something that I mean, look, 
the 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 Reds fielding was atrocious. I mean, it was they're putting Eugenio Suarez at short. Yeah. Oh, this is a really good point you're making. Yes. So like at some point you got to cut the guy a little bit of slack with it being such a bad season. You can't cut him, you know, first half seven ERA slack, but you can at least acknowledge like, all right, if he especially if he does move, like what if he gets traded to like Houston or something like that? Hmm. Well, all of a sudden now you've got a much better field behind him. Um, maybe a team that could take a look and tweak it, tweak his approach a little bit uh, and, and start to cut down on that whip. But I do think that's just part of the beast with Castillo. Yeah, definitely monitor. I know this is I joke about this now, like every podcast, just monitor this. I that, that's my cop out for everything. And monitor where Castillo goes. If it's a good infield defense, it should help him a little bit. Um but I, I I do think that the you know the overall swing strike rate came down two ticks this past year at about thirteen percent for Castillo. Hopefully it goes back up. Hopefully that changeup can be that overwhelming strike pitch uh, that it has been in the past. Uh, really, I should say swing strike rate that it was in the past. Man, thirty three percent CSWs and it was twenty seven percent this past year. You can do it, Castillo. Be the elite changeup you've had before. I am curious. Did it did it go back up in the second half when? Because it was he admitted himself like in the first half when he was struggling, he's like, I don't have a feel for my change up right now. That's the problem. I'm going to fix it. Relax. And we didn't. We panicked and dropped him and traded him. We did not drop him. We were smart people. I did not drop him. I added him in, in one there or two weeks, which is. is kind of crazy. But the change up did get better. Yes. As the season went on, I'm, I'm seeing it now. The best way I can do this quickly. I and mean, yes, we will be able to do this next year. Do not worry. Uh, is I'm just looking at P valve performance uh, of the actual results. Negative four in the first uh, three months. In the sec- last three months, it was a positive eight on Luis Castillo's changeup P-Val pitch values. Yeah. So there you go. Definitely better performance. That's a good indication. Great call there. There are signs of hope that this pitch is getting better. Let's move to the eighth round. That is Kyle Schwarber. And I, I don't know if I expected Schwarber to go this high. I just don't. I haven't really looked too much into him before this very moment as I see 32 home runs in just 113 games. And you're pretty much saying, look, Schorber is a free agent. He's going to sign somewhere. They're going to stick him in the four spot. He's going to be an immense power bat for me. Basically, yeah. I mean, it'd be better if it was an on-base league, obviously, elite off, elite on-base skills. But he had that his like just ridiculous June. I think it was like oh, 17 yeah. oh, homers or something. And oh, it's not crazy. quite it's not quite who he is, but I, I think it was a sign of a breakout. He was great in the playoffs, great down the stretch. So, yeah, I, I love Schwarber. I'll take him. I mean, 32 home runs, 76 uh, runs, 71 RBI, uh, 266 average. You're essentially just hoping more of the same. Uh, 29% homer refiable rates. There's nothing really else to mention. Yeah. Oh, the other thing with, with Schwarber is he – qualify we were doing yahoo settings and he qualifies at first base he's got it exactly 10 games so to be able to put him at first base is is huge for for it it, it certainly is i'm checking right now to see if that is started because that does make a difference oh nine started one subbed into first base so there isn't yahoo five yahoo yes but i believe it's espn that requires 10 started or 20 game so he's not in that by one game that's very frustrating i think espn is even like you need 15 to get it the next season you need 10 to get it in season oh man that's a lot yeah anyway keep that in mind for your league uh but schwarber at the very least a dh option or of course outfield as well uh and i imagine you're slotting him at first base yeah no question 
Okay. Uh, but there's not much more to say about Schwarber. It's a solid power get at this point. Looking at the other options, I mean, I think he is a step up above Mountcastle and Bell and Hoskins and the other first baseman that you could go for. As far as outfielders go, Mitch Haniger, Wentz, Austin Meadows, Cody Bellinger. And yeah, Schwarber just feels safer. Uh, there is obviously a risk that the average can fall. You know, 266 was the highest of his career. Uh, 188 in 2020, 250 2019, 238 in 2018, and 211 in 2017 for Kyle Schwarber. So hopefully you're above 250 uh, moving forward. But there is obviously a chance here that this could be a 240 power uh, average suck as you're just going for that power. Well, I mean, like we can move on from Schwarber, but he actually hit lefties this year better than he hit righties, which Mm. is just for him. I mean, that kind of shift that is massive. Um, so if that's something that he's going to keep up, then I think he could live in the the 250 to, to 270 range even. I mean, if he's going to hit 268 against lefties, then why not? Oh, that would be wonderful. If he does that, then then you've got yourself a wonderful eighth-round pick. Let's move on to the ninth one because I think this is uh, – you've got a lot you want to say about this one. It's DJ LeMahieu who disappointed to say the very least uh, in 2021. And you are expecting some sort of uptake, not just from LeMahieu, but the entire Yankee offense in 2022. I, I'm going to have DJ LeMahieu on literally every single team I draft next year because well, okay, I'm going to hold you to that. Okay, I'm sure. Gonna, we're going to talk in a year. Bring it check up. in. How many? <laughs> no, of course not. No, please do because honestly, I think it will. Like, <laughs> I'll tell Chad I, to do that for me. <laughs> like, I, I think just reading stuff on Twitter, it's like they took the people are taking the first two years of Yankee and just be like, oh well, this was some massive fluke and it was just because the Yankees were awesome and you know this guy just got lucky. Like, first of all, he's only thirty three. He's not a fossil. Like his best years are behind him. But like the idea that like oh he's just old now. No. Thank you for not calling a thirty three year old a fossil. <laughs> I really appreciate that personally. <laughs> I, I absolutely do. Excellent. That's why I said it. You know, got to keep the boss happy. But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> never was- call me that again, Pete. Thank you. <laughs> he still has those elite skills that we loved about him. We always loved about DJ LeMahieu, right? He doesn't strike out. He walks a, a decent amount, right? Like he, he gets on base. He has a high OBP. And since he's become a Yankee, he's impacted the ball pretty hard. Like his bad at ball metrics aren't Giancarlo Stanton, but I don't think they're as soft as, as, as he gets credit for. Um, and you combine those skills like all right, he's going to be batting in the top third of the elite Yankee lineup. And yes, I'm going to continue to refer to it as an elite lineup because we all know it is. We can do the song and dance about how we hate the Yankees and look how bad they did this year. But it's an elite lineup. So if he's at the top third, getting on base, not striking out. And then I'm pretty sure I just got a guy who's eligible at three different positions, all of which are pretty thin, who could probably score 100 runs, have a pretty strong average. He almost he was in MVP conversations in 2020 granted it was the shortened season but that was one year ago so like it's it's the perfect lineup for his swing like his power is gonna if he hits for any kind of power it's because he's in Yankee Stadium so just take that win and I, I don't know I just feel like people have given up on him way too quickly and the three he's a career 340 BABIP guy his BABIP this year was 301 like cut him some slack yeah I I want to clarify one thing Pete, you are a Red Sox fan, aren't you? <laughs> so this is this is a classic, like me and like my brother does this. We just try to jinx the other team by hyping them up so <laughs> much. Okay. It works. It works, man. I Don't mean, mess we'll with the see. magic. Um, yeah. I am going to push back on one thing you're talking about. It, it's, it's overblown the the soft contact that uh, that DJ LeMayu has last year across all batted ball events, which are a good amount considering the 14% strikeout rate, 11% walk rate. 
Um, just a 4% barrel rate, and that's generously up, uh, uh, rounding up there, that 3.7. It was a 2.9 in 2020. Uh, it, it does seem that he doesn't quite crush the ball like we want. That being said, expected batting average and expected slugging and ex-woba were all higher. Not so much, but a decent amount, like 391 for the ex-slugging versus a 362. But he isn't someone that is destroying the ball, and it's just not going his way. No, that's totally fair. I, I'm definitely hyping up the the luck element to it. Look, at the end of the day, he didn't have a good year. He just didn't. And the people that use like third, fourth round picks on him just just absolutely right. regret it. But I think, again, this is another case of the pendulum. I keep using this. It's this a good one. I, like, I like, like talking about pendulum swinging. It's fun. <laughs> it's gone way too far in the other direction for DJ Mayhew, based <laughs> on what I can tell from from Twitter. Right. I I will say it was still a 350 on base percentage. So it's not like him hitting high up the New York lineup wasn't beneficial. A 350 OBP, that it, that works. Did they want the 421 that he had in 2020? Absolutely. Can he get back to that? Yes, Dejan Lemayu could be a 370, 380 on base percentage next year. It likely won't be a 268 average. It'll be higher than that. The power will probably be more than 10 home runs. 26, like 2019. Okay, we can probably move on from that. But still, a positive one. I Yeah, the the, the idea that DJ LeMahieu is now done is, is, I agree with you, incorrect. Uh, ninth round, I'm assuming this is your second baseman. It could be your third baseman, honestly. We'll kind of see how that goes. I don't know if Bobichet actually, does he have second base eligibility? Splitting with Semien at all? I don't think he would. I think if okay, well, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, want, I wanted to see if, if just trying to give you an out here, if, if that was possible. <laughs> no, um, checking no. right now, no, just shortstop for Bobichet, no. uh, and Seager only shortstop as well. So th- this would be your second or third baseman. And so you at least have that flexibility. Um, you can even stick Schwarber in the outfield if you want and put him in first base. Uh, so it could be quote unquote an outfielder then. Ninth round is honestly where I think he'll be going. Maybe eighth. He, I could see him getting pushed up below, especially if best shape of his life comes out. And, <laughs> oh, no, I was plagued by will. X, Y, and Z and all of that stuff. Then there's just all this hype about someone that the Yankees acquire. Now they're the greatest team ever and blah, blah, blah. DJ's still hitting at the top of it. He's going to have a 100-run season and be the greatest thing ever, right? <laughs> I mean... We'll see. Uh, we'll see if that changes at all. Now, ninth round, I'm looking around again. I think I've said this on pre- previous podcasts. Of course I have. And I think that phrase, I've said this before. I say every single time. I There isn't much to love with hitters around this point. I think the, the cliff hits around the seventh. And the ninth is getting harder to say, oh, that is definitive value I just got. So... Ninth round, you want to take the risk on Mayhew bouncing back? Seems very reasonable to me. Uh, tenth round, I really liked this pick. Will Smith, as one value to get, is catcher. And the only catcher really was Salvador Perez in the third. Real Muta went later in the ninth after your DJ LeMayhew pick. And you came back around and said, you know what? I'm going to get myself my catcher. And why did you go Will Smith over Grandal? So... I mean, that's a totally fair question. I just view one as on the upswing in his career and the one isn't right. I mean, I don't think it surprised anybody if Will Smith finishes higher than Grandal. I don't think it would surprise anybody if Grandal finishes above Smith. I know it's not really the most hard hitting analysis, but I do really like Smith. I think he's proven over the last 
two, three, really the last three years that he's a he's a clutch performer. He's a bat they're going to rely on. If they do say Sayonara to Clayton Kershaw, which would be surprising, well, finally, Barnes is going to yeah, stop Yeah, I would think stealing. they would just speak English. I don't uh, <laughs> they <I'm> shocked. <laughs> they would finally start, stop Sorry. giving. <laughs> so that might be like the stupidest thing I've ever said on this. Oh, my God. I won't hold it against you. You got to laugh. I'm sorry, please. Yeah, they. Uh, you don't believe that they're going to say goodbye necessarily to Kershaw? Well, I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's likely he returns. But if he doesn't, then that's one less personal catcher getting in the way of Will Smith at bat, mm. right? Because you know Barnes was in the way there. I think Smith, and that was the one thing kind of going against Smith is I think Dave Roberts said like, yeah, he's going to play a hundred games this year or something like that, and right. I was like, whoa, what's going on here? Um, yeah. But now, you know, things kind of open up for him. I think he's proving himself to not only be a great hitting catcher, but like a middle of the order hitting catcher who I would love to to add to my rosters this year, particularly if I'm getting this late. And it really comes down to a philosophy thing, Nick. Like, I I think when we were playing fantasy baseball, and I, again, I, maybe I'm showing my age here, but like back when you could get Michael Bourne or Scott Pitsednik, right, to do steals, the approach was like, look, there's some catcher that's going outside the top 200 that could hit like 20 homers and 80 RBI and you're going to be fine. Like you're, I don't know, Jared Saltalamacchia in a career year. And oh, really, yeah. Well, I want all yeah, of that. Salty. Let's go. He threw me a wristband at the uh, Red Sox parade. In what a guy. Yeah. What a guy. Great. Still have it. But <laughs> like that doesn't exist anymore. If you look at the yeah. ESPN's player rater for catchers, once you get past Mike Zunino and even including him is like generous because, yeah, you get the 31 homers. But did he even hit his weight? Like not, not even close. Right. He hit like 201 or something. Sure. So. After that, though, it's a disaster. It's like Christian Vasquez, just because he had eight stolen bases and he hit what, like 240 with maybe like eight I, homers. I will I- say, I will say, it's changed since this draft with, say, uh, Tucker Barnhart leaving the Reds. Maybe there's Tyler Stevenson you want to take a chance on. There's Joey Bart now being an interesting thing with Posey retiring. Sure. There, there might be some more openings, say, for like Will Smith getting more opportunities with a DH. Uh, I am with you that the point of the matter is you want to get catchers early. I am so on board with this. <laughs> I regretted my Kenley Jansen pick the second I saw Will Smith go. Cause like, what am I doing? I am. Why wouldn't I get a catcher early? I shouldn't have done that. So I, I, I'm with you on this point. Sure. Yeah. It gets, it gets bad quick and I just, I'm tired of being on the other end of it. Yeah. It's uh it, it changes. It, it, the, the thought process has changed and uh, Will Smith, I think, He's going to get more than 93 games. That, that, that's just the nature of sure. it. Uh, 23 home runs in that time, 60 runs, 62 RBI. The The Dodgers even had him at DH this year. So it's not like they wouldn't use that on Will Smith. They certainly would. For 150 games, no. But 130 or so is what I would expect uh, from Will Smith. And that would be very good. Uh, let's go to the 11th round. <laughs> I was so upset you did this. This is the <laughs> funny thing. You want to talk about days of old, Pete. <laughs> I could get all of the fun rookie pitchers I wanted. You know, I felt like that guy with the limes, that meme, like, how can I hold all of these limes? Uh, And I still sometimes feel like that. But like Shane Boz, I would be able to get in like the 18th round or something. He only had a couple games. But here he goes in the 11th round to you. How dare you? Uh, Yeah, I don't really know actually what what i was thinking here i mean look I, <laughs> i'm happy with the pick and i think part of it was i really liked my first three pitchers so like let's take a risk here and, and take boss i mean it's great it's not good that he pitches in the ALEs, but it's great that he pitches a tropicana um and i i also just think 
even though he's a Ray, which would make me not want to take him. I think we saw from the Rays in the playoffs that like they need starting pitching, man. I mean, they were throwing out McClanahan and, and Boz games one and two. And then it was so cool. I'm sorry. I loved it. I was so happy. But yeah, not what you want to do. But yeah, I mean, I was just in a Red Sox like like focus. So I was like, light him up. But <laughs> like it's it's almost like besides what like they need starting pitching bad. They just said yeah. goodbye to, to obviously the loss of glass now is what it is. But say goodbye to Morton. You say goodbye to Snell. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, we got like these middle reliever guys and and rookies, and it costs them. So I think the idea that they're going to baby Boz, I, it's probably true. It's the Rays, but I think there's a chance that they kind of at least unleash him. Like, could we see 140, 150 innings out of him? Yes, and that talent for 130 to 150 innings, like, yeah, I I, I felt like this might be right. It was before the playoffs. I will say that it was before he got lit up in the playoffs. Well, that doesn't matter. Uh, sure. at all don't worry about that but it's such a small sample that I had to at least you know yeah that, very very fair 2.1 innings so 13.1 is actually like all right but i uh, uh, it, the most annoying thing that we do is attempt to predict innings yeah fair. it's the most oh i, I don't want to do it just tell me how many innings and i'll tell you what to think <laughs> sure you know it's uh so so with shane boz i have a theory and you're not gonna like it and i don't like it <laughs> I have a theory that the Rays are going to do two things. One, they're going to get like your J.A. Hap. They're going to get like your John Lester. They're going to get your whatever five-inning starters, Pineda. And they're going to throw a lot of those out there. They might be in the market for one starter or something. What? Uh, I don't know. But they're not going to... They're going to put themselves in a position where they have a, a, a legitimate to them rotation without Shane Boz. And they're going to limit him, and they're not going to let him start out of the gate. And you're going to do see exactly what we saw from Shane McClanahan this year for the Rays. And McClanahan did not go over 130 innings. And I imagine that's going to be the same exact blueprint pushed onto Boz, which is annoying because Boz is is not only really good <laughs> with his arsenal, like his arsenal is amazing four seamer elevated and amazing breaker down. I mean, that's all you really need to know there. But he's also mature in his approach and confidence. Um, as I highlighted, if you the one video, if you only watch one video from my YouTube channel, it's Shane Boz's MLB debut. It's like 30 minutes. It's the best video. I had so much fun making it because I'm reacting in real time. Like I hadn't just watched it and then been like, okay, wait for this thing. <laughs> you know, I, I saw snippets and was able to write about it for the roundup, but I didn't actually like, sit down and watch every pitch then. It's great. It's a good time. He's amazing. He's 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 willing to throw three straight breakers to get that one last strike against you. Like the stuff that you're not really supposed to do when you're young and you really ease into. He's like, no, no, I got this. This is fine. I trust my stuff. I love it. But I don't think we're going to see as much as we want to see, which means that the 11th round, I can't do it. I can't do it in the 11th. I want to roster him so badly. I can imagine all of April. He's just sitting on your bench. And it sucks. <laughs> it's definitely it it's definitely possible. I mean, that, that situation you just described, is it's not really a uniquely raised thing, too, right? Like, the Red Sox just did that with mm. my boy, Tanner Hauk. Like, yeah, it how long did like, it take for a Hauk to show up, right? Exactly. And, and he was, well, he, he did get hurt. He got sent down. He got hurt. And that's why it took so long. Mm. But part of it was, I mean, he looked great in, in 2020 in those three starts. And, like, yeah, it's only three starts. But it was, like, the Yankees, the Marlins, and the Braves, I believe, who all made the playoffs. And he and was dominant. was, oh, man. Ridiculous, right? Oh. It won the pitcherless, nastiest pitch competition. I and mean, he's he's it legit. Did. 
he's Chris Sale from the from the right side. But you would think going into the season, oh, all right, sweet. We're just going to have Houck in the rotation. Nope. Let's bring back Martin Perez. Let's sign Garrett Richards. And all of a sudden, Tanner Houck's in the outside looking in. So it's definitely a possibility. Oh, man. Don't ever say those words again. Let's <laughs> sign Martin Perez and, and keep Garrett Richards. It was beautiful. It was in one announcement the other day, it was announced that both are gone. It was like they, they've <laughs> both Martin Perez and Garrett Richards are toast. No offense you to that wonderful You guys won the first two games but... of the ALCS, you know. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, angry about it, but I am. Just, uh, despite all of that, that's where you were at a moment, yeah. which is pretty yeah. amazing. It was a lot of luck. I mean, it, it, up until like the All-Star break, I think only six different pitchers had made a start for the Red Sox. And that was like mm. one of the lowest numbers. They weren't all yeah. great starts, but only like six guys. Right, right, right. But uh, but yeah, with Boz, 11th round, it's um, I mean, there are a lot of guys. Sonny Gray, Marcus Stroman, Waskari Noah, Justin Verlander, Mike Clevenger, Nathan Valdi, Ian Anderson all went before your next pick. I see Chris Bassett in the 12th. I personally have already been outspoken about how I'm raising Chris Bassett in my rankings because his four-seamer is a strikeout pitch that I, did, that I overlooked before. Um, and that you're going to get a lot more out of Chris Bassett. Um, the one thing I, I implore a lot of uh, people listening, and I try and do as much as I can myself, is to really envision yourself in season with these players and trust what you will experience. That is, how are you going to feel when Shane Boz, two weeks into the season, is still in AAA and you haven't heard a word. Are you you are going to be thinking, oh, but this could be the next Robbie Ray, this guy. Should I be swapping this in? Should I be swapping it out? And you should not be feeling that for a 11th round pick. You should be feeling that with like a 17th round pick, 18th round pick or so. Lock in something that you know that you're going to hold on to. I think there were guys here that you could have felt more secure with through the season so yeah in retrospect those th- th- the three names that definitely stick out are Evaldi Anderson and, and especially you mentioned him Bassett um but hey I'm, I'm gonna gamble on the talent there yeah I mean also I'm making the assumption that he is held back and hey maybe not maybe that's not the case monitor this there you go <laughs> Justin Turner you got your third baseman 12th round Justin Turner is <laughs> Justin Turner is still good. 27 home runs, 87 runs in RBI each, exactly 87, 278 average, 151 games. The question has always been how many games he's going to go. 151 is the highest since 2016. It actually matches that was the career high. I uh, is he a free agent now too? I believe he. I don't. I have. No uh, I think he. I think he's officially back. No, I he believe. is back. It was yeah. He's one more year for the uh, the Dodgers. A two year deal entering this year. So yeah, he's got another one for the Dodgers. I, I feel like he got a great third baseman here in the twelfth round. Yeah, I did, and and it's good because at the time I, I you know, I mean, I did my rankings and stuff very loosely. I I didn't re- quite realize until it was in the draft, like oh god, third base is terrible. Um, I do have a little bit of flexibility as we acknowledge. You know, DJ does have third base eligibility, but that's assuming I have another second baseman. And I think what we're seeing now is like all of a sudden that that Seager and Bobichet combination, which I will stand by and defend to the grave, uh-huh. is still kind of coming <laughs> is still kind of coming back to haunt me a little bit. Um, but I was lucky. I was lucky to get Turner where I did. You look at the next names that went like Suarez ended the season. Great. I don't know if I want to gamble on that. Then it was like Donaldson, Matt Chapman, who looked terrible. And then a few rounds later, Luis Urias. So I, I think, I think, I think there was a drop off after Turner and I was lucky to get in just under the gun there. Yeah. I think he got the last one. And I, I don't think the argument of Justin Turner is that you're unhappy when he does play. It's more about how long he get him, which means yeah. he should be the last one, which he was. So 
I'm cool with this. I would give it a seal of approval, but it's a 12th round. I feel like that's where Turner should go. It wasn't necessarily a, oh man, you, you found the thing. It was the right pick for you to make, but it wasn't just this, oh man, you got to steal. Like I absolutely adore this pick uh, play, but yeah, pretty solid. I'm, I'm, I might change my mind later on. We'll see. Uh, but nothing really else <laughs> to say about Turner. You're going to get a good average. You're going to get good production. Like he's he's not going to hurt your team whatsoever. I wouldn't reach for him. I don't think you're going to see a an explosive season from Justin Turner. But he is exactly what you said, Pete. The, if you need a third baseman or second or yeah, third baseman at this point, Justin Turner is the last one I'm okay with and I feel all right with. I can see that. Josh Donaldson's really fun to chase personally. Ugh. Uh, same with Matt Chapman. But Turner is more secure. It's not as much of a chase. It's more of just, I want something. I don't want to have to deal with this. Sorry, you'll be fine. Um, 13th round, you decide, okay, fine. I'll get a closer, whatever. And you went with Jordan Romano. Why did you go Romano? Because <laughs> it's exactly what you just said. It was like, oh, fine. I'll just take a closer yeah. <laughs> and get it out of the way. That is literally what that was. But Look, you I, had Gallegos there at the end of the 13th. Which is fair. And I'm a, I'm a big Gallegos guy. But first of all, I think the Blue Jays are going to be a better team than the Cardinals next year. And that matters to me. Like a, the better teams get more save opportunities, which sounds obvious. But people, I think, try to get too cute. And they're like, well, this team's like middling. So they won't win their games by as much. So maybe they get more save opportunities. That is fiction. That is not true. If you're a good team, you get more save chances. And Romano was at his best in high leverage situations like this is a this isn't a reliever who was really good in the seventh and eighth and it's like try him out as a closer this was a guy who was at his best when he was a closer so he has the stones to make it and his numbers were best in august and september so like the, my lasting impression of romano is Romano's a bona fide closer on a great team and i acknowledge this in the chat like there are other names in toronto that worry me um a little Mary bit weather for example Yes, but I think Romano did enough to be like, this is my job. He's going to have to lose it for Merriweather to take it, in my opinion, which he might. He's had his, his share of injuries in the past. I think it was like a finger thing a couple of years ago. Um, but I think at this point, he was the best one available, and I needed to get a closer out of the way. So, yeah, better better team, better opportunities, Papa John's, uh, <laughs> Romano. Papa Romano's. Uh, yeah, there you go, right? Romano cheese <laughs> over here. Uh, yeah, I don't disagree with any of this. I, I mean, I'm not the person to ask about relievers. My understanding is that Romano, um, I mean, I did have him in tout, and I always felt like, yeah, all right, Romano, just keep going out there. Everything's fine. Um, I hope that he is the guy in, in Toronto. It seems like he has experience on 23 saves. Uh, it's not like he doesn't do well. 34% strikeout rate, 214 ERA, 105 whip this past year for Romano. The Jays should be winning games again next year. I think Gallegos is a little bit more secure inside of St. Louis um, than Romano is. I think uh, Merriweather, who I always want to call Wary Mather, <laughs> because that's just me. Hi. Uh, there is more of a competition than I would like. I'm not totally sold that it is Romano in Toronto. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he sh- whoever that happens to be should be going this round, if not earlier. Um, if it's Jordan Romano and that becomes secure, I imagine you're going to see him close to the 10th or 11th. But imagine this is like 13th round. You're like etching in, get a closer by now, please. Okay, thanks. And something actionable with that, right, is if you are doing early drafts and you're, you know, you're doing best ball or whatever like that, well, super late, handcuff him with Julian Mer- yeah. Merriweather like you do with running backs. Absolutely. Uh, and don't ever talk about running backs again. Okay, 14th <laughs> round. Oh, I was I was in pain here, man. 
because I I went on my my little shopping spree. I mean, if you guys didn't envision me with a shopping cart <laughs> and just like seeing my favorite pictures like crawl into my cart, I as I just like was just so happy to spend time with them. Um, it was you know I had Ian Anderson and Michael Kopech were my previous two. And then I saw, I saw Sean Benai on the board and I thought you know what Sean Benai was a top twenty guy during the year at times. I have to do this. And I was like, I'll get some of the other fun guys later. And all of a sudden, you took Patrick Sandoval. And I was so upset, Pete. I knew you would be. And what's your nickname for him again? Oh, come on. He's the Irish Panda. Which the is Irish the, Panda. The, there it is. But yes. in the SP Roundup, I said birth of the Irish Panada accidentally. <sighs> wow. So now he is the Panada. The Panada. Okay, which is yeah. fine with me. We can get rid of Panda because Sandoval, Panda, Red Sox fan. I think you can well, see that's, that's Well, that's why it is that. the Irish Panda. No, I know. Patrick you- and... You, yeah. you can see why I don't like it. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, you didn't yeah, get. Exactly. He, didn't, he wasn't giving out hugs. I guess as a Red Sox. <laughs> no, Should no, have. no. He was a very so wealthy sad. man as a Red Sox. That's about it. But but Sandoval. Patrick Sandoval. Ah, oh, great pitcher. Great pitcher. Yeah, I, and it, it's it's so the stress fracture in the back that shut down a season. I mean, that's obviously really concerning to me. But I, I think that's why I got him here because if he just kept going at the rate that he was going right before his injury, he's going a lot higher in this draft. Um, which I guess like maybe now in my head I can flip him with Boz and I feel a little bit better about that pick. But, you know, anyway, mm-hmm. it's kind of besides the point. Um, I mean, you can tell me like the sinker was new, right? Oh, the, the sinker? Uh, I want to say not really. Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, we have a we messed up as far as uh, when it comes to pitch classification on our fastballs. We combined them into one okay. on, on the sites. It won't be that way next year, thankfully. But I uh, I can't tell talk about sinker fa- essentially when it comes to the fastballs in general for sure. Sandoval I'm actually, I'm trying to remember this because I was looking at the game feed a lot with Savants and I don't really remember too much about the sinker uh, okay. for Sandoval I'll look into it keep going well I brought it up because like on Statcast if you look there it doesn't look like he had a sinker in 2020 and then all of a sudden out of nowhere he's throwing a sinker like 20 percent of the time but I think it could have been their error on that one but it's almost besides the no. point. No, I'm seeing, I'm seeing, okay, I'm seeing 18% sinkers and 25% four-seamers. Okay. But regardless, the fastball is not the uh, the star of the show. Right. And, and and first of all, I think it highlights that I like ground ball pitchers. I mean, if we're noticing anything, <laughs> right? Like Alcantara, Sandoval. They love you, Pete. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I, I hope they do because they're stuck on all my rosters. Um, <laughs> but I am a sucker for the ground ball pitch. I'm not a sucker for Angels pitchers, but I can't think of the, the most recent one worth drafting anyway. Maybe it was Garrett Richards. Who knows? Um, but I just I, I like that. I'm a sucker for it. I look at what he did right before he got hurt. He was striking guys out. I think he had like back to back double digit strikeout games. And it was like, oh, here we go. This is this is what we've been waiting for. Here comes the Patrick Sandoval breakout. And then we get the injury. And so I think it happened like late enough in the season. And it wasn't a big enough sample size of success that I think people aren't going to notice that in a lot of leagues. And, and unless he really dominates in the spring and there's a lot of hype, I don't expect him to move far up draft boards. He's going to guy who I'm going to feel I'm kind of sneaking like a third or fourth starter onto my team much later in drafts. I think even where I got him here in a lot of drafts, he's going to go. He's going to end up going a little bit later. Yeah, I, I, I think that also there's the concern about Sandoval's back and we just don't know right. how healthy he is, how he how OK he is. He started off slowly, too, and then he really burst on the scene with that. Um, 32 whiffs game that we have a sto- we have a shirt in the pitchless store 32 whiffs on behalf of Patrick Sandoval I have it I love it it's one of my favorite ones 
Um, he did so on June 6th with 10 strikeouts, uh, 200 runs there in six innings. And uh, how did he get 32 whiffs? Well, because his slider and his changeup are both so filthy. Yep. His changeup, Patrick Sandoval's changeup had a 29% swing strike rate this year. Just think about that. Talk about what the goal of CSW is to have a 30% CSW, and that's in- including called strikes. He needed a 1% called strike rate to get that if he needed to. He got six, so it's 35%. But 29% swing strike rate. Oh, my God. It's so good. And then the slider, I mean, at times was absurdly filthy as well. 35% CSW, 20% swing strike rate. It's just a question of the fastball being enough and not uh, not getting crushed. He did throw a curveball 10% of the time for a 36% called strike rate, which is crazy good. I wouldn't really expect that sticking. He did get crushed when they sat on it. But it could be an early count show-me pitch that is effective, and that's kind of nice to have. Scherzer's had it forever, and that can be a, a weapon moving forward too. But, yeah, the question really is health. And was it, you know, is he throwing enough strikes overall? He's not someone that lives inside the zone. That demands a fastball that you can throw in the zone to to keep guys honest. Only a 62% strike rate on the fastball. We've seen, like, the other league guys, we've seen, like, over 70%. On their heaters so that they can set up the secondary stuff. So we'll see how that plays out. And I think, you know, he's not going really high because it was only about two months or so of pure dominance. And then we got the injury. So we don't really know how much is going to stick, if he's going to be in the same rhythm, all that fun stuff. But he's a fun one to chase, Pete. He is. He is. And, and you know, you brought up the back again. And it's it, that is that is obviously very concerning it's one of the last places you'd want to see an injury for a pitcher particularly one who doesn't really have a track record it would have been a lot nicer to see like obviously he was going to come back down to earth at some point after that stretch but how hard no do angels come back down to earth oh wow good well done yeah well done i guess i don't know i'm sad that patrick sandoval is a Do angels hurt their backs? Like, <laughs> <laughs> With the heavy wings, of course they do. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. No, so. he, he actually, yeah, he hurt his back carrying up so many fantasy teams in the middle of the season. Um, there it is, all our fault. <laughs> um, but yeah, 14th round Patrick Sandoval, I think, is actually where he will settle. Okay. Um, because of this, I mean, I'm looking at the other guys beforehand, and yeah, you're going to feel a little bit more stable with Chris Bassett. You're going to feel like Michael Kopech is a clearer um, upside play because... He, we know him a lot more. Patrick Sandoval, he had this spurt, but maybe it doesn't last. Um, we feel more secure about the stuff of Kopech, right? So I would even argue maybe Logan Gilbert is a more of a secure thing because we know what he just did and he's going to get pushed farther with Seattle. It's an easier path. Well, Sandoval is this, I don't know, but he could, you know, Sandoval is the, the upside play and 14th round is super, super fun. Uh, 15th. It's Ian Happ. I kind of forgot that he existed, I'll be honest. A lot of people did. A lot of people yeah. did. But you didn't, Pete. I didn't you. because I got desperate in a lot of leagues late, and I was able to add him. And he was a great replacement for Jesse Winker in the second half, by the way, uh, which saved mm. me in a few leagues. Um, Ian Happ, absolutely a, a tale of two halves, right? I mean, in the first half, he hit 183. He only attempted two stolen bases, and he only had one steal. You go to the second half, he hit 268, which, like, for Ian Happ, is like high like that's great yeah, that's great because we know all the <laughs> other tools right like elite speed he's got great pop i don't know how much of that was like the cubs had completely sold and he was like the guy and he was like oh okay there's like literally no pressure here because we stink and i'm just gonna hack at everything but 
he really went off in the second half and he performed exactly like what we were hoping we were getting when if we drafted him within the first i don't know where was he going last year he was going pretty he was going in the first 20 rounds last year oh it's so, definitely his first 20 uh, i would yeah, say it might have been top 100 player or so something yeah. like that yeah he's a borderline top 100 guy i think that sounds about right so I don't know. I'm banking on on that continuing as as we get into 2022. Obviously, the lineup is going to once again be horrible. And if Frank Schwindel and and Patrick Wisdom aren't you know continuing Unreal. to be the two best players in baseball, then maybe that's <laughs> going to have its you know reverberations with with Ian Happ. But I don't know how you could complain about the way he performed there. And again. I'm not trying to consciously draft stolen bases because at this point I either have them or I don't. That's been my mindset. But Ian Happ could end up swiping you 50, 20 stolen bases, in which case I'd gladly take that. Yeah, so so Happ has never exceeded double-digit stolen bases. 142 games, 2018 had eight of them, 148 last year. He had nine. That was the closest he's gotten. So hopefully it does turn it on. There is that extra level there. Yeah. Um, this is obviously an upside play, but this is what it is now. All the hitters now you gotta be ready in the 15th round okay if i draft them they're bench bats for the most part now you have your lineup pretty much filled out this is your last outfielder and i guess you have one more util to fill to share with Corey seager uh and to me actually you've done the right thing where in the 12 teamer the third outfield spot and the second utility spot are the easiest ones to fill right i mean i don't want to have to fill both my utility spots it means i don't have enough inside my lineup generally so I wait later on in the draft to to find that, and then I expect in season for those positions to be fluid. Uh, so I'm all for this. Ian Happ, sure, take a chance. Maybe right out of the gate, he's in leadoff, and things are going great with Ian Happ. He's going to take what he carried over from the second half. Patrick Wisdom and Schwindel are still Ooh. good somehow. <laughs> and all of a sudden, now you have an effective Ian Happ. So it's definitely someone to circle. I mean, 25 home runs is nothing to laugh about. Really, the... 63 runs and 66 RBI seem incredibly low and should be shifted next year. Uh, 16th round. Can I just real quick on Hap? Yeah, go ahead because yeah, I, please I don't, delay the 16th round pick. <laughs> I I don't want to uh, come across as a crazy person suggesting 15 to 20 stolen bases for you. Well, all right then. So her <laughs> next round. I'm sorry, yeah, keep going. Yeah, <laughs> but in so I I brought up his second half where like. You know, it just seemed like they were just playing loose. And in 71 games, he attempted nine steals and he stole eight bases. So he's only caught once. So, I mean, obviously you pace that out and that's where that that crazy number comes from. And I do think it's it's within his, you know, range of outcomes that that could be that could be a number for him. I don't think it's it's too far fetched. That's a very good point. Um, you do not sound crazy, Pete Ball. OK, Much good. You're sure you're in. I. But now you might, because he took Herman McKez in the 16th round. And yeah, man, of course. No, not of course. <laughs> guys, guys, uh, sit down with me. Listen, 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 listen. You will not know when to start Herman Marquez. And you're, essentially, you have to put yourself into two buckets, two two spots. Either you start Marquez all the time. You or Really, I'll say three. You start him all the time. You start him only on the road. Or you don't start him at all, right? And all three of these are bad. <laughs> if you don't start him, then the, you, you shouldn't be on your team. If you only do it half the time, I don't want a pitcher only start 50% of the time. I'd rather be chasing the next Carlos Rodon, Robbie Ray, Alcaman Noah, Shane McClanahan, whatever on the waiver wire instead. If you start him all the time, 
Well, what are you going to get? You're going to get an end of the season of a 440 ERA, 127 whip, and a 33, 23% K rate. And you're never... I, I'm curious. I want to hear your, your thought process of this because I've tried to wrestle with it, trying to figure out exactly when the situation is and how we were supposed to roster Herman Marquez in a 12-teamer. And I haven't figured it out. And I want to hear your side. All right. First of all, he's 26. And and, and there is a well, chance. all right. Never mind then. Then we're going to ask I'm kidding. There, <laughs> there is a chance. There's a chance. I think a good chance, actually, the closer we get to the end of his contract, that he's traded out of Colorado. And then, I'll, you know, the gloves are off at that point because I think he does have good skills. Fair. You're you're right. I mean, look, he was worse on the road this year than he was at home. Now, how many of those were isolated starts that really blew up his numbers? Because I, I want to say the beginning, closer to the beginning of the year, he had some like massive blow up against St. Louis or something. I should have it in front of me. I don't, of course. He uh, went to Cincinnati for 800 runs. He went to uh, San Francisco for seven. He went to Texas for four. He went to Washington for six. At the same time, he also hosted the Cardinals for eight. He hosted the Nationals for four. He hosted the, the Dodgers for five. He went to L.A., the, the Angels for four, went to San Francisco for four. Uh, he hosted the, the Mariners for four. I guess what I'm getting at is it seems like random distribution and less of like, oh, I have a clear game plan. Sure. Yeah. And, and there's no way to game plan around that. Right. But I guess I'm looking at this a couple of ways. First of all, he's my sixth starter. Second of all, he is a horse, you know, not similar to Alcantara in terms of being a pitcher, but similar in terms of like this guy is going to go out there every fifth day for me, which when you're posting numbers as bad as Marquez, you could definitely make the case that that's a bad thing that you don't want him going out there every fifth day, but could get traded still just 26. He has shown what was it? The second half of 2018. He was a god. And oh, like yeah, it, that was that was something. Yeah, it's pretty clear that's that, though. we are. It's pretty clear that's not that's not who he is. Right. But it's hard to believe he is, And this is like the eighth time I'm saying it's still just 26 years old. Like I'm playing the upside three of the last four years. He's had an FIP under four. Like as a sixth starter, you could see that kind of come together. And you look at some of the stretches he's had in the past. Like I'm not completely out on him for his career. Um, I, I do think there's still some solid seasons ahead that are, that are left in that arm. Will it be in cores? Will it be in 2022? I'm not going to bet on it. I guess I did here in this mock draft, but again, as my sixth starter, fine. All right. I uh, this is a. I went on on the on the wire the other night. Awesome pod, of course. Adam Howe and uh, and and Kevin Hastings and I'm I'm a I made a point. Not saying it's a good point, but the point I made. <laughs> was essentially there are 100 pitchers in the pool of starters that go in these drafts or so something like the 110 whatever you want to say um it's as as a fantasy manager you yourself can say i don't want to deal with this guy or i don't want to deal with that guy and guess what you have 99 other pitchers that you can draft for me personally i look at herman marquez and i just is there a chance that this works out sure yeah, I mean, with how the Rockies just traded John Gray, haha, they didn't. Uh, it doesn't really tell me much uh, that they're going to do anything with Herman Marquez. That's a good Marquez. point. That's a very good point. I uh, and I've, honestly, the thing I've said a lot about the Rockies is the hardest thing for them to do as an organization is to sign starting pitching because if you're a starting pitcher, why would you want to go into an environment that makes you worse? It's just it's not good for your ego. It's not good for your Hall of Fame career. It's just not a thing you want to do. So the only way that they get pitching is these team-friendly contracts from from guys that they've brought up in their own organization. Herman Marquez is one of them. He, to me, is their most valuable asset. 
and uh, it's just that you, it would be so foolish for them if they want to be competitive in this way to get rid of that. And now, of course, 2023 is when he becomes free agent, but it's a club option in 2024. So it might be some time until that happens. And they should be signing hitters and trading for pitchers. That's what I would do if I were Colorado. But then again, who knows what Colorado does? Uh, it's a crazy they thing. Don't. Anyway, anyway, Herman Marquez, could he have that amazing breakout that we saw in 2018? Absolutely. You won't know that you're experiencing it until it's kind of too late almost. Maybe. And I just don't, just don't, just don't. You you think of, think of yourself in season and the decisions you have to make and the headaches that's going to happen. And you know, you know, there's going to be at least one, if not two bad starts in April. You know this. And even if I told you, look, Herman Marquez, July through August, amazing. 2022 is going to be amazing. You're going to sit there in April and be like, I don't know if I believe that guy. And you're going to get rid of him. You're going to be thinking about this the entire time. Just don't do it. So what I'm hearing is don't do it. I got your seal of approval for this pick. Oh, my God. (laughs) You got my peel of saluval. Okay, I don't know. Uh, It is 17th round. Adolis Garcia, because we're moving past the Herman Marquez thing. Um, and I know there are a lot of people that are going to believe it and just go ahead and do it. If that's your thing, just go and do it. And, you know, whips have been under 130. I get it. Strikeout rates have been above 20%. It's just, uh, Adolis Garcia. Talk to me about Adolis. Yeah. I mean, uh, Adolis. Yeah. it's Adolis. I should say Adolis Garcia. Um, yes. I was able to get a player with 31 homers with 16 stolen bases this late in the draft. So obviously yeah, he's going to do to me. He's going to do that again. Right. Well, I mean, it, but like even, but here's the thing though. We were just talking about, oh, you're taking chances at this point. Like, why wouldn't you want to take a chance on that? Yeah, no, it's a fair point. And I wish I could say I planned it this way. Um, <laughs> but like, if you told me I could take flyers on Ian Happ and Adelise Garcia because much later in the draft, I'm going to get Michael Brantley and Jonathan Scope, then like, yeah, like, let's do it. It just worked out. Obviously, I didn't know that Brantley and and Scope were going to be available, but I feel so much better about this pick right here because I got those guys. I mean, look, Garcia fell off the face of the earth, right? I mean, he was lights out in the first half, all-star, looked amazing, looked like this this out-of-nowhere breakout, like Cedric Mullins just in Texas. Um, Obviously, a little bit older. He is 28 years old. Next year will be his age 29 season, but... You know, I, I don't think there's going to be much of a competition for playtime. I think it's very clear that the league adjusted to him, and now it's on him as a professional hitter to adjust back. And I think sometimes we don't account for that. And so we can miss out on players who maybe aren't going to be 31 home or 16 stolen bases. But this idea that, like, well, look at what he did in the second half where he had a, you know, 800% strikeout rate and was terrible. Well, if if that's if that was the second half, and his first half was great. Like, why is one more important than the other? We should be looking at the full season. He had a good full season. Now as a professional hitter with professional coaching, adjust to what how the pitchers adjusted, and let's see what he comes out with. So I, I talk about it with with pitching that I get excited about young players who are great right away. They go through their adversity, and then the second that they showcase that they're good again, that's when I get hyped. Right? Yeah. Josiah Gray, I'm hyped about because he had his final two starts and he was good again. And I think we kind of overlooked that. But then again, he won the 15th round. So what do I know? I, <laughs> Adelise has not had that second part yet. But I think you're completely right that you, he showcased the ability. And in the 17th round for such a good first half, 31 home runs with just two home runs in September is kind of crazy to me. Nuts. 90 RBI. He's still going to be in the middle of that Rangers lineup. So the RBI will be there a plenty. 16 stolen bases. I mean, this is a seal of approval. You got it. You got actually a couple of interesting ones. He's like, wow, I was not expecting it. 
I was not expecting the seal of approval. Why wouldn't you want this, though? <laughs> I, accept I, the threat. I have it. I have it circled. Of like, huh? yeah, I want to. I want to chase Adelise Garcia and just like sure. maybe this is just another. You want high ceiling players now. That's all you want. 17th and 23, you're just chasing that. Maybe you're getting like a reliever, like, fine, I needed a reliever. Fine, I needed a catcher. Okay. But otherwise, you're taking guys with the expectation of dropping them now. So, Adelise, be amazing. Oh, you're not being amazing? Fine, you're gone. I don't want this, like, okay player because then, then I don't make that decision in April. Set yourself up for the waiver wire in April. And those Do guys that. might get, the okay guy might get dropped anyway. You know? Right. You, you like, would oh you don't want to you don't want to deal with the okay guys you don't want to deal with the Tobys just get rid of them you have hiring <laughs> power okay you can get rid of Toby it's fine uh, so yeah seal of approval for Garcia now the next one is Joe Ryan and Joe this is annoying Pete I'm really upset at you why is because that because Joe Ryan is supposed to be like the 22nd round guy this is truly I mean Shane Boz got a ton of attention oh my god he throws so hard all that stuff fine whatever 11th round but joe ryan is supposed to be the one that is actually the sleeper and you're taking him the 18th and it's just come on man like uh, gotta wait like four more rounds for this um but so so you leapt for joe ryan ahead of say carlos carrasco ahead of eric lauer um let's see anthony escafani i bailey ober his teammate aaron savali Corey kluber Grayson Rodriguez, and so on and so forth. Why Joe Ryan? Well, I guess the first thing is all those names I'm not interested in. Um, all of them? Uh, yeah, well, no, I shouldn't say all of them I'm not interested <laughs> in, but I'm definitely not interested in more than than um, Joe Ryan here. And sure. Carrasco was, I, I guess, raised my eyebrows a little bit, but I went through the Carrasco experience last year, and, and I, obviously I'm rooting for him, but at this point he showed nothing last year. Um, so I'm pretty comfortable taking Ryan. You know, Similar to Adelise Garcia, if he doesn't work out, I'll drop him, but I, I, the upside is there. It's confusing, right? At least it's confusing to me. It doesn't look like there's anything particularly special about him. He does not throw very hard. He kind of gets hit a little hard. It's like, it's not, he's not like some big strikeout pitcher. And yet, he continued to produce and it wasn't like he came into the major leagues and just started producing great. He was having a great minor league season as well. And so at this point in the draft, why not go for that as my seventh starter, a guy who performed that well last year? Why not? I mean, you're not wrong. It's just annoying. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Joe back Ryan, to back seal of approvals. No, 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 <laughs> no. Hold, hold the phone. Anthony Descafani is the better pick. I uh, but I but that's fine. I mean I, I I'm it's fine. I, I saw that Descafani in twenty first round. I was like, how did I let that happen? Um and yeah, I uh, no, but Joe Ryan, I mean, I'm fine. Joe Ryan's gonna go around here and I think it is someone to be targeting. Um it's it was a seventy five percent strike rate on the fastball and it only allowed a one seventy two batting average. That is huge. That's saying I'm getting strikes with this pitch and I'm not getting destroyed by it. That that was everything for him. Um, 16% of the time, he did throw a slider that had a 33% CSW. Maybe that does get better. Maybe that becomes more of a factor for him. The curveball and the changeup, I don't really like. I don't think there's much to write home about there. But that fastball-slider combination with fastballs that... Well, I mean, he did go against weak opponents. Sure. And Joe Ryan did get ousted by the Tigers. I remember, I think it was the Tigers. I remember there was a, yeah, it was the Tigers. He essentially struck out 11 against the Cubs. 
and I, I think he got removed in that one from the comebacker. It might have been that one. It might have been the Cleveland start, actually, on the 14th. I don't remember exactly, but um, no, it must have been the Cleveland start on the 14th. Absolutely. Then. But he made the start for the Cubs, dominated. But he was throwing a lot of pitches at the heart of the plate and not getting punished, and the Tigers certainly punished him. And it's hard not to think, well, he faced the Cubs and then the in, uh, Cleveland Guardians. Yes, the Guardians, the Guardians twice. And then the Cubs, and then he didn't do well against the Tigers. The Tigers were the best offense of those five starts. It could be something where he got comfortable throwing fastballs over the zone, in the zone, because against bad opponents, the, the Tigers were not so bad, and they punished them for it. It's not finished yet. I actually, I wonder, I hope we see Joe Ryan out of the gate for the Twins. They don't have much else at the moment. I think we definitely um, will. I think we definitely will. And, and I, I, it sounds right. I, I want to agree with you, but uh, we never know with young guys. I guess that's true. And Minnesota, I think, is going to want to turn things around quickly, right? Like they got a lot of prospects who are ready to play now. Obviously, the Kirilov injury hurt them and Royce Lewis. But I think Minnesota is trying to have this like quick turnaround despite trading away Berrios. So we'll see. But yeah. I, there's no reason Ryan can't be a part of that. Oh, man. Their, their rotation. I mean, it has to be Joe Ryan. Yeah. Like, what else are they going to do, right? It's Bailey Ober. Is their ace right now, according yeah. to roster resource. Then it's Joe Ryan, then Randy Dobnak, Griffin Jackson, Charlie Barnes. So, yeah. Uh, yeah he'll be there. <laughs> Joe Ryan will be there. I take back everything I said there. Uh, absolutely. Um, I don't. I think we just don't know enough about Joe Ryan is why I'm, I'm hesitant. I would rather take a chance at Carlos Carrasco. I think um, there's a lot to like about the changeup and slider, and I think he needs more time. Velocity was still there. That wasn't a dip. And normally when I talk about those injured guys, the velocity is a problem. Not for Carrasco. I think he'll get that feel back over time. Um, so that's why I'm like, ah, okay. Anthony Descafani is just a good pitcher, I think. And will help. Um, wherever, is he a free agent? He, lands. he is. Okay, yeah. Um, so it does depend on where he lands. But um, otherwise, I mean, James Caprillion's here too. I think he'll help more. Then Joe Ryan. Joe Ryan is, is more of a mystery. And I wouldn't necessarily say that, oh, Joe Ryan has like, that three ERA, 105 whip, 30% strikeout season in him right now. I could see it in like 2023, but I feel like it's a little too soon to jump at that for him. I think Shane Boz is a little bit more ready than Ryan is. Um, so that's why I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, oh, upside, upside, upside. Then why aren't you in on Joe Ryan? Um, because I don't think necessarily Descafani and Caprillion and Carrasco are like Tobies. I think they're a slight step above it. That's why I'm, I'm pushing it back, but. 18th round. Why am I judging you so much for this? I shouldn't be. No, that's whatsoever. totally fine. And it's it's also fair to bring up the quality of opponents because that's something I think I, I look at quite often. But it's not like we're just basing it right on those starts because for some Great reason, point. despite throwing like almost 70% fastballs, which is something I would absolutely avoid, he 66 innings in the minor leagues last year split between two AAA squads, a .79 whip, and 92 strikeouts in 66 innings. Like, I, there's got to be something there. There's something he's yeah. doing that is dis- deceitful. And, no, and they're, they're deceitful. Yeah. De- deceptful. He's Decept- nefarious. Deceptive. Uh, nefarious, yes. sorry, yeah. rather. I, like, <laughs> he's twirling his mustache before he throws every pitch. Yes, there it is. Um, no, I love that. I No, yeah, it's, it's, it's been documented, well documented, that his fastball essentially is, is a very deceptive offering. Um, and it's hard to... Uh, yeah, it's it's very hard to to make contact with. So I'm excited to watch more Joe Ryan. Sure. I am. I also don't trust two guys with two first names. So there's that. That's issue. fair. Yeah. That's fair. 
But uh, <laughs> but we'll see with Joe Ryan. I mean, 18th round might be where he settles, and that's fine. Especially, I mean, in this draft, too, I think all these fun pitchers get elevated more because we talk about them. Or at least I do all the time, and I throw it down you know, I, into everyone's faces all the time. Um, I'm like, you better be excited about Aaron Ashby, who went the round earlier, you know? And Aaron Ashby is certainly someone that I think most drafts will go 20th round or later. Yeah. Like, Maybe. I don't expect the Yahoo ADP for Joe Ryan to be 18th round. Like, no. I, I just don't anticipate that. So, we'll see how this goes. Um, we have five picks left as I continue to stall. We are definitely going to go a little bit long on this, my God. Uh, well over an hour and a half. Uh, Gregory Soto. Oh, well, that's you, uh, not me. Um, Gregory Soto, 19th round. You need another reliever, and here's just a spot for a reliever, right? Yeah, I guess. I think there's a good chance he's the closer, and I think the Tigers are getting better. I guess the one thing working against him is that he's a lefty, right? So it, there's, there's always a chance if you're a lefty bullpen that no matter what your numbers are, you're not going to be given the ball to be the closer. But when he was, he's been mostly effective, kind of a stack cast darling. I, I like him. Yeah. yeah, he's Gregory Soso. Wow, you know? well done. Well done. Yeah, yeah. it's okay. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, this is just a reliever spot. I mean, I took David Bednar. You know, whatever. <laughs> I actually kind of like him, but yeah. I'll trade you. I don't care. Pete. Fine. Send it. <laughs> yeah, right. That's what we always say. Yeah, you send it. You yeah. send it. <laughs> you send the deal. Uh, yeah, Gregory Soto could be the closer for Detroit. And hey, you know, there was on the, again, on the Wire podcast, I think Adam House suggested that both Verlander and Scherzer get signed by the Detroit, which would be the greatest thing ever. That would be awesome. Oh, I loved when Adam said that. Oh, and like, really watch cool. like Detroit go for it now. Then all of a sudden, Soto becomes a hot topic, right? So we'll, we'll see yeah, what happens uh, with Gregory Soto moving forward. 20th round is Michael Brantley, as you hinted at before, who is a, just an average guy. I mean, 311 average, 300 plus all the time. We'll give you some runs in RBI, but not a home run guy. Eight home runs in 121 games, just one stolen base. I mean, yeah, he'll give you, yeah, he'll give you a sizable amount of runs. Not terrible RBI. Uh, you're thinking to, to pair him up as a platoon here. Is that right? Yeah, I guess. I mean, he's kind of my insurance policy for Adelise Garcia, both him and and um, Jonathan Scope, who we'll get to in, in a moment. But I mean, he's he's only 34. I feel like we treat Michael Brantley like he's 40 already, like he's Nelson Cruz or something, but he's only 34. <laughs> and his expected batting average was literally in the 100th percentile. Um, so, you know, you say like, yeah, one trick pony and that's fair, but he's very, very good at that one trick. And that was still a 799 OPS. So, I mean, we're basically talking about an 800 OPS guy who place for Houston that's obviously a great lineup I'm I'm, I'm into Michael Brantley this late I don't see why not. I think he's gonna go much higher than this in drafts yeah the, the question is how much is that average going to help you um if I have a guy in you know head-to-head legal let's just say it's a rota but doesn't you know let's say he ends up being like 70 runs maybe say I'll give you 75 runs and 60 RBI with like 10 home runs and a 310 average you're losing 10 to 15 home runs in that spot you're losing i uh, you know maybe like 10 runs maybe your 10 rbi as well for like 40 points an average or so i'm just thinking like the average guy being like a one set 50 combined runs in rbi in that spot how much is that worth uh, i i don't really know and it, it, to me there is a, a toby-esque feel of this for that reason um but if you're you're saying Nick that was over 121 games this year and maybe he's not in every day and you're just kind of getting him in when you need that extra little boost for average, I, I can understand that. Yeah, it's totally fair. Um, you know his he did battle a little bit of a knee thing this year and he's a guy who's always kind of dealt with injuries. I am curious to see what the lineup looks like next year though because you know Correa could be moving, it could be bringing in other pieces. 
but he only played 121 games or, or I think it was 120 because of that knee thing. If he gets that back up to 140, well, all of a sudden the runs are going to look a lot more palatable. And for a platoon guy at this point, I'm pretty happy with that. A fantasy platoon guy, not a major league platoon guy. Pete, Pete I'm going to um, I'm going to introduce you to my mind a little bit right now. Um, <laughs> oh, anytime God. I hear the phrase like battled with an injury, um, I absolutely envision the player with like a sword and shield <laughs> battling said injury on like a bring it on knees. <laughs> so there's some knee that has a face on it and is charging with a weapon like a mace or something as Brantley gives his war cry it's literally what happened clashing swords <laughs> with a knee injury um anyway 21st round jonathan scope here as, as you mentioned before uh scope i remember spore was yelling please trade him please trade him please trade him and the tigers did not so free agent right now has a second base uh no i'm sorry yeah second base eligibility and first base here um but is a bit of a compliment to michael brantley a little bit less than the average 278 this year was actually pretty good 22 home runs 85 uh runs in 84 rbi but of course that depends on where he goes and where he's in the lineup 156 games though what was your thought process going after scope so this late, you know, I like I like the insurance. I'm not sure if he still has second base eligibility, but I do think that depending on where he ends up, he could get second base. Like for if the Red Sox decide to cheap out at second base, I think scope is actually a pretty good option for them. Not that you want to draft someone hoping they go somewhere like that's not why I took Seager thinking he's going to go to the Yankees. It's not why I took scope thinking he could end up at the Red Sox, but it is something to keep in mind. I think there's more left there. It's not like Detroit's a great place to hit. So the fact that he had this renaissance in Detroit is is actually you know kind of interesting to me and it doesn't really matter that he doesn't walk right because this is standard five by five and I don't think his batting average is going to kill you so while if you look at his stack cast sliders it looks like ooh yeah it looks like it was just a fluke and 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 he's still just Jonathan Scope maybe a platoon player I don't know to get 22 homers 84 RBI and 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 the rest of this line that he put up last year even the two stolen bases is not nothing right um I wouldn't expect that going forward but it's not like he's a slug out there so this late insurance, I look at both Scope and Brantley as safe for kind of what they are. And since I took the risks with Hap and with Garcia, not to keep harping on that, I thought it was pretty good late insurance. So it is interesting. Uh, if going to right field in Comerica Park is really hard uh, for fly balls uh, to convert them into home runs. Uh, so 13.5% home or fly ball rate in Scope. Scope's 2021 was the lowest he's had, I think, in his career, say for 2014. Uh, but swing strike rate came down to 12%. Strikeout rate was below 20% for the first time. Uh, pole percentage went down too, um, which is very interesting. We're talking like extreme uh, upper 40s, and now it's upper 30s. Uh, something did change for, for scope um, as far as approach goes in my view. And that might be something that does stick around. But I think truly the, the value of scope lies in where he goes. Yeah. End of story. If he's still in Detroit and he's batting third, this is this would be a seal of approval, because yeah, if, oh my god, like second base is such a terrible. Like, it, it, there, there's a dearth of options, <laughs> but Scope would be the wonderful discount play. However, he's a free agent now, so we don't know where he's going to be. I wouldn't expect the Tigers to get him again, sadly. And it might mean that the homer five ball rate goes back up because he's on Comerica and all of a sudden that 22 turns into 25 home runs or whatever. 
uh, maybe even hinting at 30 like it did in 2017 for the Orioles. Uh, but it really does depend on where he is in that lineup for the run and center RBI, and that would make him, you know, that is a root of his value. So definitely something to look at. But yeah, if it does slide in nicely somewhere, then, oh man, Scope could be a, a super good discount here in the 21st round. 22nd, you got one more pitcher, and it's Tony Gonson. This is a fun one. I think this is a very fun one because the Dodgers might not have Kershaw. They might not have Scherzer. It's Urias and Go- and uh, uh, Bueller. Bueller. And that's it, kind of, at the moment. For the Dodgers, Gonsolin could be their number three. I mean, probably four. They'll probably get at least one. But still, constant playing time for Tony Gonsolin in 2022 could spell a much more successful season. Yeah, and we saw in 2020 that he was pretty awesome, right? I mean, he was he was in the Rookie of the Year conversation. I can't remember who won it. I know his teammate Dustin May was in there. Maybe it was Jake Cronenworth. But whatever the case may be, I mean, Gonsolin was a guy that we were getting increasingly interested in. If I recall correctly, he was not a guy that came up with a whole lot of pedigree. And instead it was like, oh, okay, this guy's actually pitching pretty well. And he just kept getting better. And I think it really hurt him, which is it's tough to blame the Dodgers. They won like 190 games this year. But like... The fact that they have so many pitchers means that like these guys don't know what their role is until the season starts. And then even then it's like, wait, I'm, I had a good season last year at the major league level and I'm pitching against triple a batters right now. Like that's gotta be hard. And so adjusting to that, being a reliever going out in short stints, you know, you know, all right, I, I was told I'm only pitching three innings today, so I'm going to throw it, I don't know, 98 miles an hour, but then you got to make a start where you have to go deeper into games. And so all of a sudden you're not throwing as hard. I think he's had to make a lot of adjustments. And and I'd like to see you put it best, right? Like he's going to have maybe a steady role and we can actually kind of see what Tony Gonsolin's made of. Yeah, the uh, the problem with Gonsolin this past year was a slider strike rate dropped 20 points. That is everything. When you throw a fourth of the time, Gonsolin, you got to get 50, you know, 51% strike rate will not count. 71% in 2020, that was good. <laughs> Do yeah. that. Do that more often, please. And you can say, but Nick, no, 21%. Swing strike rate, 102 batting average. No, no, no. 20% fewer strikes or a 20% drop in in, in uh, strike percentage. That's huge. And that that is everything for him. Uh, I didn't mention Andrew Heaney before, by the way. I, I should have, but I think Gonsolin's above uh, yeah. Heaney on that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you're right. Like, give him, you know, removed from Dodger Ritus, which I hope he is. Uh, Gonsolin could be different than he was in 2021. I like this play a lot. This is a seal of approval. You wow. should be chasing Gonsolin this late in drafts. I uh, I like chasing this more than Bailey Ober and more so than uh, than Corey Kluber, more so than Daniel Lynch, because they, Tony Gonsolin will likely be in the rotation out of the gate. Now, if he's not, you let go of him. You'll have you'll be able to make the decision. This is exactly the right one. So uh, take a chance. See how the slider looks. If it looks bad, just get rid of it. So are <laughs> easy, you are you easy decision? Camp Joe Ryan or Camp Tony Gonsolin? Well, I prefer Joe Ryan over Gonsolin. In a vacuum. But yeah. But I mean, I'm, I was just upset. It's like 18th round. I'm like, God, this is like, you're supposed <laughs> to do this one. You're supposed to do this 22nd round, you know? Sure. That's sure. that's why I'm, that's why I was like, oh, God. But I guess I'm, I'm just coming to terms with what I might have to do. Mm. Like, ah, uh, <laughs> it's never fair. It's never like. It's never like why just go after hitters, everybody. Just do that. Don't. don't Those discounts are, are getting harder and harder to get because yeah, they are, Pete. Huh. It's terrible. Okay, so yeah, Gonsolin is someone that should be on everybody's radar at the end of drafts. And last is Josh Lowe. Tell me everything about Josh Lowe. Sure. So first of all, he came out of nowhere. 
right? Like this was not someone who was on a lot of radars. He was not someone who had this great minor league track record. And then last year, he just absolutely blew up um, both with speed and in power. He got like a very limited burn last year at the major leagues. I mean, like so small that I think it was like two plate appearances, two plate appearances, but he had a small base. And he never struck out. So he did not strike out (laughs) once at the major league level in 2021. But I mean, it's kind of besides the point, right? Like I, I remember reading, I can't remember if it was on MLB trade rumors or on Twitter or something like that, that there's, there's a rumor that the Rays might want to be moving on from Kevin Kiermaier, which like, I mean, I don't know. That's kind of a crazy, I can't imagine Kevin Kiermaier playing for any other team, especially as as a Red Sox fan. But if they do, that really does kind of open up the door for Josh Lowe. And I, it's kind of crazy. It's very against what I do to draft two Rays rookies. <laughs> like that's preposterous. I would never do that. No interest. Sure. But for both of these guys, I do think there's an opportunity for them to get pretty consistent playing time. At the end of the day, it's last pick, right? If you're not swinging for upside here, then you're wasting what are you it because you're going to drop this player after the first week of April anyway. But if Josh Lowe's all of a sudden in the lineup and hits two home runs in the first week, we'll hold on. Maybe I'm holding on to this guy. Yeah, that's that's fine. I mean, you'll also be able to see is he in the lineup? Is he not? Okay, move on. Yeah. It's that it's that easy. This exactly. is like a um now you just you just need to be disciplined, right? Is the thing. You know, we it's easy for us to say, oh no, if he's not there and it, oh he's just my stash and I'll move on from him. Well, we all have a tendency to be biased in the sense of we would rather hold on to guys and be wrong by who we hold on to than drop someone and be wrong about the person we we grab, right? It feels worse to lose the thing oh, yeah. than to go you know, and be wrong on the other side of it. So just be disciplined and actually drop Josh Lowe that first week or two when he's actually not in the majors and going to right. something else. Right. You'll, under, you'll actually will love the freedom, the feeling of like canceling plans at night. <laughs> it's amazing. When you do, you're like, oh, I have a roster spot. Oh, I can get all these things now. I don't feel bad about it because I already made that decision. And it's a sunk cost kind of thing. It's like, it's already done. doesn't yep. matter. So um, not really what sunk cost is. But anyway, Josh Lowe, last round. Uh, I think this is a really fun upside play. 22 home runs, 26 stolen bases in at AAA for the Rays last year. Uh, 291 average along that way, too. High strikeout rates. We'll see how he adjusts in the majors when he gets that time. Uh, and I am excited to see it. We'll see what happens. Uh, the old joke is, of course, the Rays need a low that is pronounced correctly. Um, <laughs> once they trade away Nate Low, they need to correct. This is that. his brother. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, can't wow. have enough lows. No. Or Laos. No. Yeah. Well, this is a. Hopefully, he. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Nope. I'm, I'm moving on from the jokes. Anyway, I. Uh, <laughs> Josh Low is your final pick. That's 23 rounds. So how do you feel about this team? I scale one to twenty three, Pete. Oh yeah, good. Yeah, classic one to twenty three scale. So, yeah, of course. Hey, they're twenty three rounds. It makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Then uh, I would probably put it at like uh, seventeen, because um, I think there were enough picks there that I kind of regretted. Right. Like I, even though it's man, everybody's gonna be like, man, he hates Bobuchet. I love Bobuchet. I kind of <laughs> wish I took, kind of wish I took Jose Ramirez. You know, Shane Bieber, you kind of got me a little scared there. And I clearly reached on Boz. I took closers just because I felt like I had to take a closer. The idea of drafting a closer in in October just like gives me anxiety. So, yeah, I I just didn't want to be left without, I guess. Um, But overall, I think I think I have a well-rounded roster. I have more stolen bases than I'm ever used to having. So I'm pretty happy with this roster. You didn't mention the one regrettable pick. Which is not Joe Ryan. No, 
The one regrettable pick. The one regrettable pick. I mean, this is me embellishing this. The 16th round pick, Pete. Come I, I, on. I'm, I'm very confused. It's it's Herman Marquez. Oh, right. right. Oh, yeah. God, I blacked out from that conversation. Yeah, I, understandable. <laughs> understandable. Pete. Uh, no, no, I, well, I mean, I'm, I'm messing around, of course, guys. No, I, I, hey. I I understand and and absolutely hear the criticism of Marquez, but <laughs> I do think my next two pitchers could end. I mean, this is just how the end of drafts work, right? My next two pitchers, Joe Ryan and, and Tony Gonzalez, could easily make me forget about Herman Marquez. There you go. And uh, I I just want to hammer into everybody's minds: if you are going to draft Herman Marquez, know your plan. <laughs> just know your plan, and if that's okay, whatever it is, just know yourself and follow that plan. That's all I ask. I'm um, 17 out of 23. Sounds about right. You know, I um, I liked some of your picks. I didn't like others. That generally means 17 out of 23. What a wonderful analysis. Very reflective on the last hour and 50 minutes. One of the longest ones here. Man. So, Pete, thank you for joining me tonight to talk about your team. Uh, we did it. Thank we you for having me. Finally yes, did it. Oh, we my did God. It. We did it. This was, it was great. This was a longer than time. your average Disney movie. Like, this was, yeah. Oh, yeah. And way better, too. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Uh, Please. Mm, definitely. Uh, and before you go, remind everybody what you do and where they can find you. Sure. So every every other Monday, uh, you can hear me and Chad Young, who writes for Picture List, writes for Fan Graphs, discuss on the Keep or Cut podcast, long-term keeper leagues, as well as Ot New Leagues. Ot New never ends. We're in the arbitration process right now. So I'm sure that will be a lot of the conversations for the time being. But we talk all things keeper leagues. You can follow me at, at Pete B Baseball. Don't be uh taken aback by the fact that i don't tweet that much right now the tweets will obviously pick up the closer we get to the baseball season nice all right and remember keeper cut both k's there yes I, oh yeah you can follow the, the our twitter at keep or cut both k's that's right beautiful uh all right but that's gonna do for this edition of the on the corner podcast on behalf of pete ball my name is nick pollock and we'll talk to you guys next week